Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Hoping we find you all in good form. John Paul back taking your calls today. If there's anything you want to share with us, 1850 333 103. Your thoughts on what's happening uh, with Brexit and the British politicians. All of the papers, obviously lots of column inches about uh, the British politicians and the fact of the stark choice that they now uh, have. They uh, either have a no deal Brexit or else they'll have to go back to Europe and say we need to stall the process. The risk of the UK crashing out of the EU. It's now 16 days time that obviously increased dramatically last night when the Prime Minister Theresa May she had a revised withdrawal deal. She'd gone to Strasbourg, negotiated, brought it back on Monday put it to the British politicians but it was uh, rejected roundly again. uh, This time 391 votes to 243 so it wasn't as big a no was the last time but it was still a very decisive no to Theresa May and uh, her latest uh, revised uh, deal. Irish hopes are now firmly pinned on the hope of an extension to Article 50 beyond the 29th of March. But of course, the EU capitals, they're going to have to be persuaded as to why they should give the United Kingdom an extension. And Theresa May, very much aware of this. I mean, and even saying I can go back and look for an extension, but they're going to ask me why, what will happen in that time if they give an extension. And she said it's an answer uh, to that question that she's going to have to have the answer from the House before she can go back to uh, Europe. And then she went through a list of possibilities to the politicians. Uh, Do they want to revoke Article 50? Just forget about it altogether. Do they want to hold a second referendum? Or do they just want to leave with a deal, but not with this deal? So the group of hardline Brexiteers, including, of course, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's really heading up the hardline Brexiteers, he, uh, they joined forces last night with the GUP's Nigel Dodds to formally propose that Brexit would be delayed until the 22nd of May. Now, the reason that date is important, that is the day before the European uh, elections 
they've now tabled an amendment to the motion planned by Theresa May, which states this time period would allow businesses time to prepare for the operation of tariffs and EU leaders not overly keen for a delay though past the end of May. Sources in Dublin are saying the government here will help the UK lobby other countries for an extension because March 29th pointing out and it, it's true the March 29th was always a UK deadline it was never an EU one it was the UK came up with that de- de- deadline of the 29th of uh, March so we're all still very much up in the air when it comes to uh, Brexit and actually we're going to be in a couple of minutes talking about Brexit in a way well talking about Brexit is going to affect agriculture and in particular how it's going to affect beef farmers. We know we have a beef crisis at the moment and there's a call now as a possible way of helping out beef farmers. One possibility is that we need to have a standalone Department of Agriculture. We need a minister and a department that is just focused on agriculture at the moment. We have the Department of Agriculture and in with it is Marine and Food. Is that too big a brief for the minister and too big a brief for the department so do we need a stand alone department what else do we need to do with the current beef crisis that's going on and already as soon as I mentioned um, beef and a beef crisis some of your comments coming in uh, Jim says beef farmers are reluctant to buy calves from dairy farmers as many of these calves are the offspring according to Jim, of poor quality Jersey cross cows. It's time, says Jim, to DNA all calves born on dairy farms. Would others agree? Also, he feels it's immoral to sell a baby calf at only 10 days of age. Jim says it's some biblical court is still not dry. They should be at least 21 days before they encounter the stress of going to a cattle mart. And another listener says, Trisha, I'm glad to hear you mention farmers and in particular the bad price for calves because it's one of the issues we're going to be addressing today. Well, Patricia, I saw that coming. Minister Coveney crash-landed milk quotas and he only appeared to want large farms. He gave them big loans for big and big grants for big sheds. He does. He didn't want to and doesn't seem to want to entertain small uh, farmers. Uh, anyone with, any farmer with 80 cows or less, this listener's opinion, Michael Coveney doesn't seem interested in them. Farming is up in a heap at the moment and farmers must run faster to stand still. It is a new bubble waiting to burst, according to this uh, texter, and that's even before Brexit or if we have the UK crashing out of Brexit with no deal, what would that do to the beef industry and indeed to agriculture in general? Keep your thoughts and comments coming on that. Uh, then we're going to speak with the Cork Penny Dinners. Wonderful charity that is Cork Penny Dinners and Katrina Toomey uh, will be joining us because it came to our attention yesterday that Cork Penny Dinners, I think it's for the last six or seven weeks, they've been opening up at night and it is to facilitate rough sleepers. I mean, they've never, you know, Penny Dinners was only ever designed to feed people during the day and to give them all a warm meal during the day. And God, did we ever think in 2019 that that service is going to be needed more than ever, more than when it was first set up uh, hundreds of years ago. And here we are today with, isn't it 2,000 hot meals a week 
is what they give out from Cork Petty Dinners and suddenly now they see a need this is more to do than just giving hot dinners they need to give shelter at night so we'll speak with uh, Katrina about that and the effect that that's having on their services I mean I imagine there's a cost implication for that uh, as well we're also going to have John Creedon join us on the programme John uh, recently went to Guatemala to see the work of Troker and we're in we're a week now into Lent and of course during Lent for many years now it's what God, is, is it over 40 years now we've had uh, Troker boxes uh, in our homes and a lot of people whether they're religious or not still like the idea of Troker boxes and I think it's nice with children to get children to the idea of giving particularly during uh, Lent so a lot of families still partake with uh, the Troker boxes and over the years you may have had a Troker box uh, in your home but you know you you, you, you hand over the Money, but you never really get to, you can only imagine what kind of goes on with the money and how the money is spent. So in fairness to Troker every year, they try and do their bit to try to bring people over, well-known people, celebrities, the people like John Creighton, people who can sell a story and just let them see it firsthand where the money from the Troker box. So if you've ever handed, put any money at all from a very small amount to a large amount into a Troker box, John Creighton today will give us a flavour of how some of that money was spent and he'll be talking to us about his week in uh, Guatemala and from what I can gather from stuff I've seen and heard John say and that he's written about it seemed to have had a huge huge effect on him so we'll speak with John a little bit uh, later on Blood Brothers the wonderful Willie Russell show Blood Brothers is coming to the INEC in Killarney it is I think it's a five night run but they've got two matinees on as well so there'll be seven performances in total next week it opens next uh, Tuesday night at the INEC if you've seen Blood Brothers before you will you'll know what a cracker of a show it is and and it is one of those shows that if you have seen it before you can go back and see it again and again because it's just it's such a terrific show I, I get excited just even talking about it we are going to speak with the guy uh, it's a gentleman by the name of uh, Robbie Scotcher Robbie plays the narrator in the touring production of Blood Brothers which is coming to the INEC next week so he's taking time out uh, to talk to us uh, today. And Peter Dowdle, it is Wednesday so Peter Dowdle will join us answering all of your gardening questions. You can get your gardening questions in throughout the morning and also just to let you know we've had a number of calls to the show of late with concerns about potholes and potholes that seem to be getting bigger by the day at the Ballybeg Bends that's on the approach road into Butterfant on the Mallow side Glad to report that pothole repairs are continuing today at the Ballybeg Bends. They're going on from half nine in the morning until four in the afternoon. And obviously because of that, uh, traffic management plan is in operation for the works. So you can expect delays, but it's delays kind of for a good reason because they're sorting out those potholes on the Ballybeg Bends, just to warn you if you are heading to Butterfant from the Mallow side. And actually talking of potholes our own Bernie, who was uh, producing actually for Monday and Tuesday of this week, Jean Paul uh, was off yesterday afternoon. I don't know what time it was, it was, but it was sometime in the afternoon, and it certainly wasn't dark because she had left work here uh, yesterday, and she was heading out to Drumahan, and she hit a crater of a pothole, and she has burst her tire wide open. Now, seemingly there was 
two potholes as you drive up Dremore Hill on the left hand side towards Nazareth House. I saw somebody put that up on uh, Facebook yesterday so I'm assuming it was one of those potholes that our Bernie hit yesterday and she literally has burst, she bursts the tyre open. Now she went, she she went out, she took a photograph of the pothole and then she had to limp on and get the car sorted out and all of that. And then she went back this morning and the pothole has already been filled in. So we have sent her, now she's got a photograph of her tyre and all of that. We've sent her post haste off to the council offices to see how she gets on and she's going to, now I don't know whether she'll get back to us before we come off air at one o'clock today, but I'll be really interested to hear how she gets on. I mean, to me, it's a cut and dry case this was a pothole that our Bernie hit and it was a pothole that was that should have been filled in by the council and that it wasn't her fault and I, I certainly think they should be paying for her tyre but we will we will wait and see and we will await with interest uh, so we'll update you as I say if we get anything before the close of the programme today and just on Brexit and the possibility of the of the United Kingdom crashing out of Brexit and what kind of chaos would that cause? What would it mean uh, for us here in Ireland? What would it mean for the people of the United uh, Kingdom? Michael says, Patricia, hi. The French have disrupted the land bridge for the last 10 days. They have, yes. Uh, and it's something that was never expected. But because of a work to rule by customs, traffic if you traffic going through the land bridge between France and uh, the United Kingdom are facing a 15 kilometre delay and that was without customs having to deal with tariffs or with any other duty kind of giving people a flavour of what it could be uh, like they were actually inspecting temperature which is something that has nothing to do with them at all but I mean I think they were, they were just doing this deliberately just to show what well, they've got in their work to rule which is for a different reason it's nothing to do with Brexit but it really is giving people a flavour of what Brexit if there was a no deal Brexit what it could be like. Uh, their hold up was a union issue but as Michael says certainly a taste of what the British will face and the reality of what a no deal Brexit will look like. They, they will stop food coming into the United Kingdom for as long as it takes. Britain's own colonialism past is coming back to haunt them. Whatever Parliament decide to do about a no deal it is not technically binding. The UK are still on course to leave according to a previous vote of Parliament with or without a deal on the 29th of March. If Parliament votes against removing a no deal, then there won't be a vote asking for an extension. The default will be that Britain will leave on March the 29th. They can revoke Article uh, 50 according to Michael. 1850-333-103 Our lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Laura Gelga RC 103 Rogue Polo Kono and Feha the year for an edig shakdone. Near Imreshe Rugger Gudiga Revshe, Shavlin Degdish. Gudishin, Vieg Iri Gahanva Age, Susnov Agusagal. Octoresto Imre Doskal, Near of Adoger, Akniak A, Mare Railtmore Rugger on Tucky. Dimmer Paul Marnosgrad Kugamun, Dera, Augusta Erin alone. Agus Kiapuk e mar captain er an tri erin. Igor kuigamun dimar sheid galkaid is a oktegur. Agus daim shig she kuig fuinta is noka. Dimar she oskan kaid or dera. Eg aim shig galskur is kuig fuinta. Solar arig she asan gleha. Konian pol elimnok. Then a van kela. Agus dror postoko. Is trenali e anish. Le fern rugger na herin fui feha. 
Lake Moor Sport. Le Blur Guelga is Misha Dunica Olanchig or Guelskult Mostavish Maana. CKD Asa 3 Kirkig. C103 presents the Clonakilty Park Hotel West Cork Rally in Clonakilty St. Patrick's Weekend. The cream of Irish and British rally stars come head-to-head on the West Cork Roads featuring world rally star Miko Hervinen. Action gets underway with the ceremonial start in Clonakilty Town Centre on Friday night, March 15th. The Clonakilty Park Hotel West Cork Rally. Fun and excitement for all the family. March 15th to 17th with Cork's greatest hits. C103. With great uncertainty still surrounding Brexit, everybody accepts that beef farmers will be the ones directly in the firing line, especially if there's a no-deal Brexit. West Cork Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Collins raised the beef crisis during leaders' question questions last week and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Um, and I suppose first we have to start with what's happening with the Brexit or what's not happening with Bre- Brexit. I mean, the European Council President Donald Tusk saying the EU has done all it possibly can to reach an agreement. Do you believe they have? I, I'm, I'm expecting that uh, they'll have to go back to the drawing board following the vote uh, last night. And while the margin wasn't as big as previous, uh, Theresa May's loss last night was still significant in my view. Um, I think, you know, listening to discussions over the last number of days, it was dependent on on assurances they'd get from the Attorney General in the UK. And uh, some people weren't happy with the assurances they got that they, it was legally binding. And we're back to square one. This has been an absolute disaster. Um, it, it, obviously, it's been a further disaster in the UK because it's dominated their political scene for the past um, year, year and a half. And, and, and But here, we're just waiting with a bated breath. We spent the last two weeks debating. Brexit and signed it all and to me it's debating in a vacuum because we really don't know what's going to happen across yeah. the water and everything we're saying could actually end up in the bin uh, within but, hours but, but, is, uh, uh, but, but I mean is our no deal preparations now more important than ever? It is and it probably factored into my my, my discussion with, with, with uh, my, and my leaders' questions recently with the Tanishta in relation to are we prepared like a country in relation to agriculture and I certainly don't think we are prepared as a nation uh, in relation to agriculture and fisheries. Uh, in, in this country and I, I focused in very clearly on that because it's a huge issue for the people and the, my constituents in Cork South West uh, and, and throughout Ireland because you know we have 170,000 directly employed in the agri-sector and we have 250,000 people indirectly uh, employed in, in, in agriculture and the agri-sector and it's a huge issue going forward and I don't think and I'm, I'm strongly convinced and I hope I'm wrong uh, that we've had our eye off Paul on this issue. Well, the, the, we, the pre-Christmas slump in castle, cattle prices has carried over into the new year. Is it true that you're hearing from farmers that calves sold at March are ending up with farmers getting a bill because the calves are selling so cheaply? Exactly. It's happening, unfortunately. And it isn't that the, the marks are overcharging. It's just that they have their charges, which is quite limited, I accept. But the price of the calves, basically, they're, they're up on the internet offering calves, take them away for free, and no one is willing to take them. We have an issue um, uh, that needs to be dealt with, and it's continuously being put aside that, uh, you know, we meet, need more, uh, need a better live export market. We need more layerage in, in, in Strasbourg and places going uh, across the waters. And I, uh, there's a whole factor here that has left farmers absolutely stunned uh, and, and, and bewildered. But hang on, and, hang on. And, a, 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 calf, a calf 
it's selling seemingly in band in March for less than 50 cents. That same calf was making 110 euro last year. How does that happen? Well, I, I can remember when I was growing up, and that's 25 and 30 years ago, when we had a, a, a few cows at home, we were making 120, 130, 140 pounds for a calf at the time, a three-week-old calf. Now it's down to 50 cents. Nobody wants to buy the calf because there's no... We, we're not able to move them out of the country at the moment um, and there's, we need extra layerage, uh, extra space uh, across uh, in Strasbourg and different places as, 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 the, as the calves are going to... We're not able to get uh, our markets out and openly uh, to, uh, the, the, I suppose, open the market abroad. We have a serious crisis in relation to farming in 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 a, in a whole sense, uh, Patricia, and that's why I raised this issue. I've raised it in relation to farming and fishing recently that we need a standalone minister for agriculture, and we this country refuses to understand the the dire crisis that we're facing. And I'm trying to get um, uh, the tarnish to understand that he says that this is too late. This 36 days that this he accepted that they discussed this a couple of years ago. This should have been seen coming two years ago. And the, br- the brief it, is simply too big to have agriculture, food and marine all lumped in together. I mean, it's, And it's, I'm not personally criticising any stand- minister that's there at present time. What I'm saying is that we need a standalone minister to deal with agriculture and you need a standalone minister to deal with fisheries. These are our two main industries in this country and we have failed, failed miserably. And you look at well, and you look at the history and what is happening. Even last week I called on the Taoiseach to consider opening um, an embassy in Tehran because the Iranians are very interested in taking Irish beef. One of the things they want is that an embassy, no matter how scaled down it is, would be opened in Tehran, as other European countries have. And the Taoiseach told me all the countries that they would be considering opening this year, but not Tehran. And this is where, you know, we're totally, very much dependent on on the UK market, where 52% of our Irish beef has been uh, exported to. So you're saying what? Forget, Forget about the UK market and look elsewhere? Well, we certainly have to look at uh, other markets because the, even this morning, uh, the, the English have been saying that they're going to put uh, tariffs if we have a, a, if we crash out of uh, out of a crash case situation in Brexit. They're going to put a, a tariffs on Irish uh, food. So if, if they put severe tar- tariffs on Irish food, we won't be able to export our beef into the UK because uh, uh, the Brazilian beef and other beef will be selling cheaper there. No one will purchase it. So we have to look at other markets, urgently look at other markets. And the the, the opportunity in, in, in Tehran is phenomenal. And I can't understand for the life of me that the, the Taoiseach or the, or the minister... And, and you're saying all it needs is an embassy to open in Tehran for... for the Iranians have made it very clear uh, to the politicians that are up here that they're very interested in, t- in, in taking Irish beef, but obviously they have one thing and they they believe that there should be an embassy open to, to deal with this going to... We, did, we, did we once have an embassy there? Um, was I, that I, one I, of the embassies that closed? It, it was one of the embassies that closed, but one of the things that Taoiseach went through last week when I, when I asked it, that he went through all the countries that are considering opening an embassy this year, and they're not even considering opening one, at least go into negotiations and see, is it possible? Because we, it, it might be a market that could take a huge amount of Irish beef, and it might just alleviate the, the, the crisis that's, uh, that's, that's becoming us. As I said, we have we have a junior minister, and we have a senior minister in agriculture and fisheries at the moment, and junior minister is Andrew Doyle. Now, he's running for Europe, which is another distraction. He's entitled to do that, don't get me wrong, but it's another distraction going forward, again, in, in relation to Irish agriculture. So we need, as I continuously said, send on minister, and they, look, I called for this before, 
in relation to rural affairs that we needed a minister for rural affairs and they refused it continuously until the end they found out that they had to have one and they do have one and he, you know he's fighting the corner as best he can at the cabinet table for, for the people of rural Ireland and here we're same, we're in the same situation farmers are now getting uh, they've had a price decrease of about 100 to 150 euros per head of animal and they're looking over at the very same animal sold in the UK they're getting the price the full price that these uh, that they used to get and that's 100 to 150 more than the Irish farmers, so their farmers are rightly frustrated and angered. And you know, there's a, there's, I know there's a lot of farm organisations fighting out there. There's the IFA, the ICSA, and also you have the new beef movement uh, plan that, uh, that that held a meeting there recently in Bantry. And the frustration coming from farmers, it's, it's incredible. They're angered, they're hurt. They're producing the best beef that's humanly possible to be produced, and they're not getting the best price, and far from it. And they feel that there's nobody really standing up, and 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 and, well, and on. they certainly can't continue going the way they're going if they're not making money. They're, well, there many of them are working at a loss. So now you see their face with a All right, somebody's situation. pointed out the embassy in Tehran. Uh, there was an embassy in Tehran. Uh, it closed in 2011 as part of the cost reduction uh, measures that was brought on by the financial uh, crisis. I remember that there was a number of embassies uh, closed. And actually, your call to have the Irish embassy uh, opened, the farmers have been calling for this for, for quite some time. There was certainly a big, a big uh, shout out for it to reopen back in uh, the start of, of 2017. So it's, it's widely accepted that in order for us to get cattle in to Iran we need to have this uh, uh, embassy okay um, but you got nowhere certainly with the embassy for Tehran we've we, we got a we list of all uh, the other embassies that are going to open look, including Los Angeles I think I don't know why we need an embassy in Los Angeles the other, the other situation we have is, is, is uh, we had an opportunity in the budget to address some of the issues that the soccer farmer and the beef farmer are experiencing this time and we wanted and we pleased with the senior minister at the time for a 200 euro soccer co-grant unfortunately we got 40 euros and that's that's you know that's very very difficult in these times just to get 40 euros extra for the calf 200 euros would at least even though some say we needed much more for the survival of the soccer farmer at least 200 euros would have helped I see in one of the newspapers yesterday uh, one of the bigger uh, soccer farmers saying he's gone he's getting out of it he's going into dairy farming because at least he'll have an income there is and at the moment some farmers are working here at a loss and I don't know how long they can sustain this and um, I've been and told that the last time that cattle prices hit this low uh, was before we joined what was the EEC at that time? My God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, My God! You know, you know. I, I, I said there earlier the the, the price of the calf uh, thirty years ago is, is making a huge was making huge money. Uh, it's not making that anymore, unfortunately. I know there a lot of these farmers are selling them at a loss. Um, and I don't know, as I said, we don't know how long this is going to continue, but we do need to know, um, uh, we do need, as I say, a standalone minister here to deal with these issues and to deal with it, and to be, to be looking at opening markets like Tehran, uh, where the Iranians are looking to see would they t- uh, uh, buy Irish beef at huge okay, quantities. And, and past one of our listeners said it is the co-ops who are making money from farming. They put up the price of feed and uh, fertilisers, so some areas are making money. Yeah, the one fa- thing I'll say about the co-ops is, is we went through an extremely difficult period uh, in Irish agriculture over the last uh, couple of years in particular with weather and every kind of unfortunate situation that fell upon us, in, especially with weather-wise because we had extremities of gale storms, rain, and then extremities of, and I found that in cases, in a lot of cases, the co-ops are very supportive to farmers and I can't, I have to be honest. Yeah, uh, on, only for the co-ops, some of those farms would have gone to the wall. Oh, definitely. They, they were, they, they they were incredible. Them, they saved them, yeah. so I have to say that in fairness. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, a good you know, point. In, in, in okay, and also on, on a bit of positive news, why, why we're just 
discussing Brexit. I mean, the big worry anytime we mention Brexit, uh, we'll get people mention the cross border health health uh, initiative and people going um, on the cataract bus that you have been advocating and and were one of the main organisers. Um, what's you've got clarity on what will happen after Brexit? Yes, well, they haven't given a, a deadline as to how long this will continue, but they have said that the cross-border initiative will continue. They obviously will have to change the wording. Of course, they can't do that until they know how Brexit is going to fare out. But at least uh, it is continuing after the end of March, which a lot of people had been very worried that it was going to end. Um, and, and, and there was a, I had a, a situation where people were panic basically ringing to try and get, uh, get get spaces in the clinic in Belfast. We have three buses going up next week. Uh, that'll be, by the end of, uh, we have one going up on the 16th, one going up on the 18th, one going up on the 20th, and that, that, the, the bus on the 20th will be the 30th bus going to Belfast um, uh, under a huge amount of pressure to deliver that type of situation. You know, you're organising hotel, you're dealing with elderly people, they're finding it difficult. But at least, look, it's going to continue into in the foreseeable future, I could say, for the next year or two at least, and yeah. Um, uh, you know, and and because there is other healthcare initiatives going on between um, Donegal and, and and Derry in relation to cancer, in, in relation to young children, uh, babies in particular, uh, heart operations between Belfast to Dublin. So and and this situation where people are going for cataracts, hips, knees operations to Northern Ireland uh, is part of a health initiative that's going to be continued going forward. As I say, I can't put a, a say hold on, but it's indefinitely. So I would expect that this is this is uh, maybe ease the pressure for people rushing to the north to uh, for cataracts because okay. we'll, we have buses going up in April and May. The one thing is this, is that we have been and I've unfolded some information I need to look at it further because I have figures or whatever this is a, a situation that's going to get worse in relation especially to cataracts Patricia, uh, where people um, I suppose before people got a cataract and they went home and they, they, they lived with it and some died with it and went blind uh, in, no, in the situations we're left now once they get a cataract they're probably told they can't drive so it becomes a panic situation to get this resolved and people see a way out and, but in, in 2007 I was told that the South Infirmary there was a promise to, by the by the HSE that this, they'd build a new unit in South Infirmary just as 2007 we're at 2019 and that unit hasn't been built and we're, the crisis is getting bigger and the amount of people uh, coming forward with Briggs, sorry, with, with cataracts is, is, is much more than used to And be. I know so Nina Hospital are doing their bit. They are now doing their bit. There's a new unit open there. But what I'm saying is for the, for the situation to cover the people of, of, of Cork and Kerry and that surrounds, we need that unit that has been promised since 2007 to be opened yeah. a one standalone unit in the South Infirmary. I know I've been calling for a unit in Bantry and, and, and Mallow, but it, we have to start somewhere. Yeah, and if, yeah if, absolutely, if absolutely. And with an ageing population, that waiting list for cataracts is only going to get longer and longer. I'm going to have to leave it there. I'm over on time. Uh, but uh, Michael, thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is West Cork Doll Deputy Michael Collins. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103.
Jim is on when I mentioned that uh, poor Bernie uh, who was was producing the last couple of days while John Paul was off uh, has uh, hit a she hit a pothole yesterday afternoon following the show heading out to uh, Drumahan in uh, North Cork and she burst literally there's a burst on the tyre she took a photograph of it but she went back out this morning to take a look lo and behold pothole has disappeared it's been nicely filled in uh, how long it'll last I don't know uh, Jim says hopefully Bernie will be able to claim from the council and isn't it ironic there's a song on that that the pothole was filled in the following morning why do the council allow for the potholes to get so big that somebody like poor Barney ends up bursting a a tyre before they fill it in I suppose in the council's defence they are they're doing the best that they can it's just the condition of our roads and they do seem to be worsening and now they're into kind of rainy season and it's very wet at the moment and of course whenever we get heavy downpours of rain that we have had for the last couple of days, couple of weeks really, it's been um, we've had some pretty nasty wet weather and that just adds to it, that just makes the problems worse because I, you know I, I mentioned earlier because we had so many calls in about the potholes on the Ballybeg Bends and the Ballybeg Bends is a very twisty, rinding road on the Cork to Limerick. It's Cork to Limerick Road. It's between Mallow and Bottle and you come to these series of bends called the Ballybeg Bends and some of the potholes on that. But they're fixing those at the moment. So I suppose the council will say we're doing the very best that we can uh, at the moment and they're out there fixing them. And I know there's always criticism of the way they're they're fixed. It'll be, actually, we'll, we'll use Bernie's pothole now as a kind of a, a test case to see how was that filled in because at some stage between Bernie bursting the tyre and then this morning it got filled in. So we assume it got filled in sometime uh, yesterday evening. What way was it filled in and how long will it last? We'll mark the date of it being filled in on the Tuesday we take it it was filled in yesterday the 12th of March it's just we'll keep an eye on that particular pothole and see how long it lasts because we're constantly getting that from people saying oh they, they're, they're filling potholes but they don't seem to be filling it properly or it's just an emergency job is done and then the pothole is grand for a day or two we'll get downpour of rain and the pothole is back and it is back at worse. 1850 uh, We continue to get calls in about people complaining about air. And I know at the moment air have a problem in that there, if you ring their call centre to report a problem or to get a problem sorted, you're waiting for very, very long periods of time. And we know that they're training in people, they're training in new people at the moment. And they had had their call centre had been overseas. I think it was in India and they brought it back in in-house, which is great. So it means when you ring up, it's going to be an Irish person that you're going to be speaking to. And they've call centres around the country, but they're training in the people at the moment. And that is causing delays and people are getting frustrated because they're waiting 20 minutes, 40 minutes, up to a couple of hours, we've heard of some people. And John Paul tells me that we're getting so many complaints in about air that we could literally do a complete show on all of the different calls and complaints that we're getting. So obviously we're not going to bore you uh, with that. We are endeavouring to sort out an issue though for Jeremiah, who was with air and then he decided to leave air and he went to Vodafone and then he got a letter back from air in November and December saying they owed him money, 40 euro, and that they'd send him his money back. But he still hasn't got his money. He's been trying to ring air, but he can't get through. So we're going to try and see if we can sort out and get that 40 euro back for Jeremiah. But Bridget is in Donnerell and she joins me on the phone line. Uh, good morning to you, Bridget. Morning. 
you have a you have a strange situation. This is to do with your you're a customer there and a bill. So yeah. you have a query with your bill. What's well, wrong? Uh, no, we because uh, you were on the on the radio there about people not looking at their bills, and uh, we pay direct debit, so we don't get a bill. Okay. So we just we were just wasn't looking, so we downloaded one of our bills from last month, and there was two calls on it from direct inquiries. One was for five seconds, and one was for six seconds. And I know we didn't uh, ring direct inquiries. And we weren't even in the house for one of them anyway. So I was talking to a guy and he looked it up and he said it was strange. And he, one was like he just couldn't make it out. So I said, I didn't make a um, call to them. So after a while, Henry, he said, yeah, that it was strange. All right. So he's going to give us 20 euros credit back in our next bill. And he's signing us up for another um, package and he's going to save us 10 euros. A month. Okay. Uh, how much were the two calls to the... They were 11 euro 95 cents. What? Mm, for five seconds. To direct your inquiries? Yeah. That's ridiculous. I know, yeah. Yeah. And only that, you downloaded your bill? Yeah, I know, yeah. You would never have known? No, no, no. God, there's a lot to be said for looking at all of our bills, it isn't is, there? Yeah, that's what I'm that's what I was saying. Like, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Like, uh, when we did look at it, and we kind of, my husband and myself, we kind of, you know, I said I didn't ring direct inquiries, and he wouldn't be the ring, ring direct inquiries because he's out of work anyway. And if I wanted a, a number, I we'd look it up on the internet. Yeah, so, as everybody does. Yeah. So. Uh, but even allowing for that, how could a call to direct inquiries be eleven euro? I know. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's just a mistake, plain and simple. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it happened about 12 months ago again, but we got nothing out of it, and it was 11 euros something again. So it must be something that is something wrong, going wrong somewhere with them. Or, has to know. be. Has to be a computer error. Has uh, to yeah, be some kind of yeah. error. Okay, check your bills is the, is the moral of, of yeah, the tale. Yeah. All right, thanks for that, Bridget. All right, and thanks, thanks for joining it. us. 1850 John Paul, uh, taking your calls. You can uh, text our WhatsApp 0862 103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Mary by WhatsApp says I Patricia with regard to AIR and the fact that they are removing their staff from an Indian call centre they must have forgotten to tell one of their chaps because I just had a call from an 074 number telling me my broadband has been compromised uh, says Mary yeah the uh, scam artists that are doing those scam calls about your broadband uh, they are they're certainly not working for AIR that's for sure and uh, they're in call centres all over the world not just in uh, India Uh, and I'm assuming you just hung up immediately Mary, thank you for your WhatsApp on farmers and Brexit and all of that and the price of cattle at the moment. Uh, Hi Patricia, by WhatsApp, farmers are always on the front line when a problem hits the beef sectors and markets with live experts. Why have they not come together and built processing plants in this country? They would be in a much stronger situation but because they get a few extra bucks for the live animal. I feel that greed is taking over. It does not make much sense to be sending your raw material to another country to go creating jobs there 
and our own people leaving our shores. Just look at Castletown Bear. Count the number of lorry loads of fish that leave the port alone every day. It's frightening. Call the harbour master. He'll give you the actual figures. It's just disgusting what's going on. And that's not today or yesterday. Thanking you. And that is from uh, Michael. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Uh, Patricia says, John, why don't the government buy those calves and give them to Boher? The farmers could be paid a viable amount for the cattle and the money could be taken from the overseas aids budget. They could be treated as part of overseas aid, says uh, John. It's not a bad idea, particularly with the way they, the cattle has gone so uh, low. And actually, I was reading a piece and it's, um, it's similar to what we were talking about with Michael Collins, but it's uh, Senator Tim Lambert, who he's he's a far, he's a dairy farmer himself, isn't he? He was uh, talking about the crisis facing beef farmers at the moment, particularly around the deflated prices. And he said he was at the Bandon Mart on Monday, which is Ireland's biggest calf mart. And there was nearly one thousand eight hundred calves went through on Monday, and some of them, some of them were sold for less than fifty cent. And these were calves that according to Tim Lombard were making €110 last year. Now it is a particular issue with bull Frisian calves so I don't know if Boher would take bull Frisian calves but it is shameful to think the calves are being sold for 50 cent which means then that the farmer ends up getting a bill from the mart because it costs more for the mart to take in the calf for sale than what's actually being uh, been uh, made. Somebody else feels that farmers have too many cattle and it is just down to greed and nothing else and they need to cop themselves on. That uh, is a text. There's no name on that uh, text. Uh, Nora, this is on sending the animals to Tehran. I would be against sending animals to Iran, says Nora. Uh, also Turkey or Egypt because the cruelty that's imposed on these animals and how they treat animals that are sent there to be slaughtered. I would rather struggle on here than send my animals there. I would rather send them to local marts, says Nora. So she's very much against live exports. and says that Frisian bull calves as newborns are being collected from farms and they're being killed because people cannot get the money for them and with the low price farmer fee- farmers feel that there's no point hanging on to them they don't want to feed them surely that is very cruel says Anne well the, the 50 cent ones that I was talking about from Tim Lambert in Bandonmart he says it's a particular issue with bull Frisian calves so that ties in with I didn't know that was going on that they're actually just getting rid of them straight away rather than hanging on to them at all because there's going to be a cost associated with it. Okay, on the whole Brexit then, Liam in Limerick says the problem with Brexit is 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 this, now Liam says the problem is only the six counties in Ireland. Oh God, Liam, I think it's a bit more than that but anyway, uh, should they have a referendum in the UK to ask about the six counties if they want them or not? Because without Northern Ireland they can sail away into the sunset they could give a timeline and leave like what they did when they left Hong Kong all those years ago. I think it's a little bit more than just holding a referendum in the United Kingdom saying, do you want us, will we give up on Northern Ireland? What about people in Northern Ireland? They would have to be asked as well. And I don't know what the results of that referendum would be. But the, the problem at the moment in trying to negotiate a deal seems to be about the backstop. And obviously that's got to do with the six counties. But I think there's a lot more to Brexit 
than just the six counties. It would be very simplistic to think that that's the only issue. There's a certainly a lot more uh, going on there. OK, also coming in on to us on... Oh, this is on the opening of the embassy in Tehran, which Michael Collins was calling for and he brought it up with leaders' questions because Iran has said, yes, they will take live exports of Irish cattle, but they'll only do it if there is an embassy in Tehran. And there was an embassy in Tehran, but it was one of the embassies that closed in 2011. There was a number of embassies around the world closed in 2011. It was all part of the cost reduction measures that was brought on by the financial crisis crisis, and a number of embassies were uh, closed and Tehran was one of them. And anyway, and there doesn't seem to be any sign of it reopening, that's for sure. But a listener says, we have opened token embassies in places. And this listener says, it is just purely tokenism. It's to please minority groups. Um, And these are these, uh, of these embassies ever of any use to Ireland. Uh, this texture is uh, pondering. And I know that the Taoiseach actually was as a direct response to Deputy Michael Collins's question about an embassy in Tehran. He then stood up and listed out whether well, they don't have any plans to open one in Tehran this year. There's a number of other embassies are going to be opened. And it was at the start of this year in January of 2019 that the government announced 10 new embassies are opening in 2019 with a further three to open in 2020 but none of them are in Tehran. I can tell you this is now purely for the listener who feels it's tokenism. How many of these are tokenism? I don't know. But by the end of 2019 Ireland will have opened the new embassies in Vancouver, Wellington, Monrovia, Mumbai, Bogota, Santiago de Chile, Amman, Cardiff, Los Angeles and Frankfurt. (laughs) Los Angeles in Hollywood. I don't know. Why do we need an embassy in Los Angeles? Maybe we do. Anyway, they're the new ones and then there's, uh, they're, they're all the ones that are going to be opened in uh, 2019 but a listener feels tokenism. That's all it is. It is tokenism. We have been talking about potholes uh, today on the programme. Bring back the man with the shovel. Get him to open up the drains. Now that's a regular text that comes in from a gentleman who signs himself an ex-councilman who knows what it's like to have been the man with the shovel. He knows what it's like to have kept those drains open and he also knows because they kept the drains open uh, we didn't didn't have as many potholes back then when we had a man with the shovel than we have today because the man with the shovel is gone and they don't keep the drains open and then the water ends up all over the road on wet days like we're having today and that just makes the potholes even worse. Now yesterday on the programme John from Cork was on to us and he was picking up on a piece that we had featured on Monday about Mallow businesses and shops were being asked to decorate their premises. It's a special competition that the St. Patrick's Day Parade Committee in Mallow have decided to run this year and the shop frontage competition and you know who can do it up as nicely as possible on the theme of St. Patrick's Day and I mentioned you know all to do with the green white and gold and decorate your shop and all of that and that prompted John to pick me up on the fact that I mentioned businesses and Mallow decorating their premises in green white and gold for St. Patrick's Day and John says when I was young the Irish flag was always said to be 
green, white and gold. But he said in recent times, when you hear people discussing the flag, he says they say the flag is green, white and orange. What is the official colour of the flag? And did it change at some point, uh, says John? Well, it's always been orange, but we refer to it as gold for some uh, reason. And that then led somebody to say, what exactly is the significance of the flag? And um, I had said that, you know, the green was to do with Ireland or the the nationalists and Catholics and the orange was to do with uh, Protestants and Unionists and the bit in the middle I also was to do a piece so I said I'd, I'd, I was off the top I was just literally saying it off the top of my head so I said I would get the official verdict on it and it is the Irish flag is made up of three equal stripes illustrating the Irish political landscape as accurately today as it was in 1845 which was the year that the flag was first unfolded. Orange stands for the Irish Protestants Green signifying the Irish Catholics and the Republican cause and the white represents the hope of peace between the two. And that's exactly uh, what it stands for. But green, white and gold, I think I will still, if you were to ask me the colour of my flag, I would say green, white and gold. I think it's just a matter of people, some people opting for the word gold and some people opting for the word orange. I'd be interested if anybody can ask school children, what are they being taught in school? Are they being taught to use the word orange? Have we changed in that sense? Or are they still teaching green, white and gold? Because certainly when I went to school, that's what it was called, green, white and gold, even though the colour is orange. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Bar staff with two to three years experience required. It's for a North Cork country pub. While a West Cork company, they're looking for a lorry driver with crane experience. And you need to have a current safe pass. A JCB driver is wanted for work in the North Cork area and a window fitter is wanted for Pat Enright glass and glazing and they are based in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now RTE's John Creedon recently travelled to the Central African country of Guatemala to see the work of Trocra at first hand and to get a sense of how our Trocra box money is spent. To chat about his trip, John Creedon joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, John. How are you doing, Patricia? I'm doing, I'm I'm doing very... I'm literally out the road here, by the way. Oh, are you? You could have popped in live. I'm travelling back from Galway. I nearly made it as far as Mallow. Ah, what a pity. I'm just outside Charleville at the moment. What a pity. uh, Pulled in, engine switched off, so all is good to go. Okay. Now, what did you know about Guatemala before you went there? Not not a huge amount, really. I mean, uh, geography was always one of my favourite subjects in school, so I've always had an interest in, in, I suppose, in the human condition, in people and in travel, and in more recent years, because I was a dad uh, as a young fella, uh, right through my 20s, I was raising children and so on, so I didn't get to travel as much as I would have loved to. But I've been really fortunate in the last, say, like 15, 20 years or so, in so far as um, I'm lucky to get around a bit, and, I mean, this would not have been my first experience of poverty either, in so far as I've been to, you know, Central Africa, and rural China, Sri Lanka, India, Tamil Nadu, places like that, so I have seen barefoot people I've met Before, people yeah. in the past, and I'm not too easily shocked, uh, as awful as the world is. And uh, with Guatemala, I think what pricked my attention, I've been asked a few times by, by Trocra and by a film crew to go there and to kind of witness the work that's going on and to, uh, to document some of the stories that are being told in Central America at the moment, because the whole place is in crisis. It's a complete 
you know, I've, I've been listening, listening to you there this morning, and I know that people in the cattle business are having a very hard time at the moment. And as I said, I know that in every second house, there's there's some upset or pain. And even in terms of what's going on in Central America, we closer to home, we have our own homeless, and we also have people who are drowning in the Mediterranean trying to escape sub-Saharan Africa, conflict in Afghanistan, Syria. So I'm not beating a drum just for Guatemala. I oh, understand no. people have their own their own um, issues and their own things to deal with. I'm just telling you really what I saw, you know. Yeah, and what and what did you, uh, I, I'm going to get you to talk about what you did see, but firstly, I'm really interested in that you found similarities between Guatemala and Ireland after the famine. Yeah, well, as you know yourself, Patricia, as we get a little older, plus a change, plus the mem shows, the, the, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And as I said, the older I get and the more I travel, the more I realise that folks are folks, whether they're Chinese people living on a tower block or whether they're people trying to pull a bullock out of a bog hole, they're still people and they still have feelings. So um, I suppose, um, come back to Guatemala, um, the, the particular issues you mean out there, is it? Yeah, no, but I'm saying, but the, but the, the yeah, the particular issues, what, what, what most, you know, what most got to you? When you um, oh yes, in, t- in terms of the similarity with the Irish story, yeah. well, I suppose first and foremost, um, the Irish have a great tradition as as givers, and yeah. we seem to have an empathy with people who are in trouble. For the most part, we're very good. We punch above our ways in terms of if there's a crisis someplace, the Irish are in there straight away. Um, our own history is littered with pain and and hardship and colonization. So Central America and South America, well. You look at Guatemala, see, that's in particular where I was, and I was also in El Salvador and around there, but um, first and foremost, there was the conquistadors. Here you have a very sophisticated ancient civilization, the Mayan people, living in a very sophisticated but simple, very good relationship with the land, hunter-gatherers and farmers to some degree, and the Spanish conquistadors arrived. That goes on for hundreds of years. I think we're familiar with that story. Mm. Um, eventually, the landed gentry, let's call them that, in, in Guatemala decide to break from Spain because they're tired of sending taxes back to Madrid. So Guatemala becomes independent. Big deal for the small guy. He's still laboring away as a sharecropper on the estates of these well-to-do, mostly Spanish blood, uh, conquistador um, uh, families, I suppose you could say. Eventually, in the 1940s, there was a popular revolution where the people said, this is just outrageous. We have multinational companies, we have American fruit companies like United Fruit coming in here. They're paying us a penny a week and they're paying the guys above in Miami uh, 30 bucks a week. This is just desperately unfair. We've been treated like slaves. And eventually there was a popular revolution and uh, the people took the reins of control and they held them for 10 years. And in that 10 years... They opened hospitals, a couple of little schoolings. There's only all very small progress, a poor country. They organized trade unions, whereby they were able to negotiate better rates for the peasants who were working on the banana plantations. And next thing is, the call goes into Washington saying, these guys are talking commie down here. They're organizing as unions and everything else. So given that it was the 1950s and America were looking for reds under the bed, here was another bunch of them as far as they were concerned. They labeled the, the, the then government uh, a communist government, and there was an American-backed counter-revolution and the old order was restored. The people are back to walking around barefoot, working for a pittance and it is and now it's really it's multinationals. It's Russian firms, American firms coming in there. We, we know the story. I have to say, to be honest, um, and I'm a bit passionate about this, I came across stories that were very, very dire, but they reminded me of similar stories in Ireland, whether it be Shell to Sea or whether it be something else where a community does not want um, 
it's a fragmented a development or they don't want um, an oil pipe running through their village or through their, 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 their area. Because they, they know the effect it's going to have on the area. Right. Well, the big difference here is that we speak English and most of us, or our kids at least, are educated and can stand up and speak for us. I'm talking about Mayan people who, who speak Mayan dialects. They don't even speak Spanish. We use double translators all the time. And they were literally brushed off their own land to make way now, particularly, for palm oil. So you have these huge palm oil plantations. The reason being, I hate to say, we're partly to blame. The EU put out a directive that we end up moving to 10, was it 20% initially? Yeah. Um, but it's 10% now biofuel, you know, renewable yeah, yeah. fuels. Brilliant idea. I'm all for it. The net result, or one of the byproducts of this is, the value of palm oil and sugarcane and recyclable fuel has gone through the roof. All of a sudden, these plantation owners are pushing into virgin forests and pushing into wild land where there are people living simple little lives and pushing them off the land at gunpoint um, to create palm plantations. And one of the and literally was, they are being evicted from their little properties. Evicted, I mean, that's the one out. thing that got to me was the eviction. I was thinking, this well, is like our famine. It is. And you know, one of the terribly sad and yet beautiful things about it, the Mayans have a very, very light footprint on the land. They constantly speak. I, sp- I was in a high security prison where I spoke to Abelino, who's... Um, a young man, he's in his late 30s, he's got two small kids, he's a, basically a small farmer uh, organizing, uh, organization uh, representative, and because he was seen to be a thorn in the side of the one of the fruit companies there, um, he was accused of trespassing on their land. He's three years in jail waiting for trial. Three years away from his family. So no, I know I'm very passionate about this. I'm sorry, can I just say, prisons in Guatemala, I take it are very different than paying a visit to somebody in Cork prison here? Well, you know, um, unfortunately, I'm in and out of prisons on visits. Um, and I have to say, there is a terrible feeling for anyone who's ever been in a prison. It's when two doors or three doors behind you are locked. Yeah. There's a, there, there's a, even as a visitor, it's, um, it's never a, a, a good feeling. Um, I have to say in Guatemala, as you might expect, there's a lot of heavy weaponry around, even in the streets. Uh, people are still very nervous of the militia. I was in Coban uh, because the militia would have been used to enforce the, um, I suppose, the, the government's wishes at the time. And so people are still very nervous. It went on there for over about 30 years. There's 45,000 disappeared. And the biggest fear at the moment amongst the people is not unlike the story in Northern Ireland. They're talking now about a general amnesty. And this is before a lot of people actually have been tried or sentenced for atrocities, genocide, systematic sexual abuse. If I could, Patricia, tell you one remarkable story. I, and I met so many fantastic people. The women of Sepo Sarko it is the equivalent of a village. Uh, given that the roads are very bad and not paved for miles, it's about nine hours from Guatemala City. And up there, there's a Mayan community living there with their own little lives, simple little village, no footpaths, you know, big trotting down the, the village street, hens in and out of houses, and, and a very rural and undeveloped area. There was an army barracks there, and back in 1982, uh, the standard line of negotiation in Guatemala is to a farmer is, you can negotiate with me, or I can negotiate with your widow. Oh. And, in, and more often than not, it's with the widow. There's 45,000, mostly men and boys, have disappeared. And the women of Sepos Arco, because so many of them were then husbandless, so to speak, um, were forced into the barracks to work. And I can leave that to your imagination, but they were, in fact, systematically sexually abused, amongst other things, over a number of years in that barracks. 
Many years later, the UN, with the help of Procura and Cook and other organisations like that, but Cook is like a local ICA, so to speak, they, um, the UN invited people who felt they were victimised during the, the atrocities there to raise their hand. The women spoke amongst themselves. They talked about perhaps making a case. Um, a lot of the older people in the village said, no, you'll only disgrace us. You'll only bring shame on the village. Um, who's going to believe you anyway? We're peasants. We're nine hours for, from Guatemala City. We have no money. We don't speak Spanish like they do in the courts. We just haven't got a hope. And Troker and their, their, their partners on the ground, they're like Cook and ECAP and other farmers' organizations and women's organizations, managed to cough up the money for transport to the city, free legal aid, and over six years, inch by inch by inch, those women got closer to court. Eventually they got in there and Troker picked up the hotel bills for their stay in Guatemala City and they got it over the line and two generals have been sent down. And very brave of those women. Very brave. Just the tip of the iceberg. There's the, I'm not sure if it's available online or not because I've looked for it, but I saw a beautiful United Nations video about the women and they kept their faces covered through the entire six years not through the entire six years, but when in public or when in the courtroom. And it wasn't for dramatic effect. It was because the families of the military still live in their area. And um, they were actually uh, worried about reprisals. Yeah, and they didn't didn't know what way it was going to go. Well, there was a very symbolic removing of their, not mantillas, they were like shawls, really. Um, And these are women. I spoke to them. I held their hands. We talked. I remember saying to one beautiful old lady, Carmen, I felt just very big and and European and intimidating in front of her, and I just apologised to her for coming to speak about this story again, about her story, when I could have come to speak about the pigs or about the maize harvest or about her grandchildren, and I apologised for having to ask her about this 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 whole atrocity. Yeah, episode in her life that she doesn't remember. Yeah, and an and episode it, it, she doesn't want to remember. Yeah, but you know the funny thing is, au contraire, she turned to me, it, it came three-way, from Mayan into Spanish and Spanish to English and the translation I was given was no you're a very welcome man we did nothing wrong we spoke the truth one of my friends has since died but she got justice in this life as well as, as well as the next life and we will tell our story over and over and over again and I just thought well doubt you girl well, you know, done. Like well done and did yeah. you get a real sense while you were there uh, John that the money that goes into the little choker boxes in Irish right. homes all over the country that he can and it does make a difference. Right. Well, first and foremost, I'm not an accountant, but uh, and I don't work for Trocara, but to be perfectly honest with you, straight up, I was asked two or three times to do this and I've been disappointed in the past by charities. I've, I've done things for charity in the past and I won't say regretted it, but I've been disappointed with the net result. And, and I'm sure you are constantly bombarded to attend this or do this or do that or do the other and sometimes you realise, really, this is not as wholesome as I thought it yeah. was or, or the expenses are high or something like that. And I've had a few disappointments along the way. But so equally with when I was approached by Trocara, I ran all my own checks on this, you know, and, and Google checked our governance. And, and if you want to check the league of, of table toppers in terms of uh, bang for your buck and how much money actually goes to the charity and how much goes to the administration, you'll find that Trocara performed particularly well. But I don't know the inner workings of Trocara. I can only tell you that on the ground, uh, there are 12 people in the Trocara office. Ten of them are Mayan women. And they don't wade in and sort out big projects. Trocara's office is there to take a call, to validate what needs to be done and to do what they can. Can I give you one great example of, of where it works? I told you there about the little bit that they did to help the women 
Mm. We visit Casa de Migrante, which is the migrant house. And not unlike the coffin ships, the people in Central America are fleeing Nicaragua and Honduras. I heard some, all, a, a huge variety of stories. I met a gay activist who told me that up to four years ago in Honduras, he was free to do his work. Now he said, I'm a walking target. If the military or uh, narcos or gangs can shoot me just for fun, there is no protection at all. Equally in El Salvador, I met a guy who was running um, because he said if he went home, he was going to be killed. Uh, I met a guy from the Honduran military who was one of 33 deserters. He said we were asked to act against our own people too often and 33 of us ran away a few weeks ago. I don't know where the others are, but I'm traveling through Guatemala trying to find um, a safe haven someplace. So when we were in Casa de Migrante, I spoke to um, the organizers there. And they told me that they've been dealing with individuals and families for years and years and years to try and protect them from the coyotes, those who would take money off them for moving them to the next country. Uh, women are very are prey, really, to the coyotes. And to get from Honduras to the Texas border, there is little doubt that you will be abused on a couple of occasions, probably en route, as you're passed from one gang to the next. My God. And that's the risk people are willing to take. But anyway, I, I, um, I asked them how they cope with the caravan, and she said, when the first caravan arrived, we knew there was a couple of thousand people coming from Nicaragua. She said, we have 65 beds. But we had no idea what was going to arrive. A tsunami of 17,000 people arrived into Guatemala City that evening. She said, we managed to sleep 600 here. We were on the phone to Trocar immediately. They said, what do the, what do the people want? And we said, they're actually looking for transport. And Trocker said, we can't do that. Because to give them transport is tantamount to trafficking people. We can't do that. What else can we do? Well, we need water. We need um, medipacks. We need inflatable beds. Trocker were on the case straight away. And within hours, through their contacts in the UN and UNICEF, they had 600 people stepped in that building that night. A thousand stepped across the road in a warehouse. Two or three hundred went to some diocesan office nearby. And the university opened a few dormitories. And about 13,000 people stepped on the street. Well done. Well done. That's a great story and a good so, positive so, so one. So that's how they do it. They get in okay. touch with, the, with their partners on the ground and that's how they do it. All right. Listen, John, before we let you go, you were, you're coming back from Galway because you were recording um, our... We were live last live night for Live last Gloria. night for Gloria. Uh, somebody's been on, Sheila's been on to say, you voted off John Malloy, a fine country yes. singer. She said, we cannot understand it. Why did you vote him off? She wants John to explain. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure Damien Davis fans will be asking the same question this morning if we voted Damien Davis off. Um, I, I can't really give the reasons why. It's not fair on the other two judges. We give we give um, we give a joint verdict at the end of every program. As we pointed out last night, there was two very hot candidates. But everybody feels that. I mean, if it was my sister or my yeah, favorite it's singer, the same in all of it, these competitions. Well, I, I put it to you this way: if they kept Patricia Messenger and voted off Johnny Cash, yeah. I'd be going, I'd be going bloody mad. I'd be going bloody mad. Um, no, so I'm not, I'm not saying that lightly. What I'm saying is, it is a tough decision. It's yeah. one of the hardest things to do is to make a decision like that. And to my mind, and I won't even tell you what I per- thought personally because that's not what counts. It, it's a three-way. There are three votes, and the majority wins. So. My opinion really isn't um, isn't of any huge importance because ultimately we vote as a trio. Um, and I thought John was very good. I'll be honest with you, I was surprised to see those two guys in the back as the back markers last yeah, week. Yeah. And at the risk of sounding smart, the only way to ensure your favourite candidate stays is to in vote. There is to vote. Is to vote, yeah. Is to you're vote. Right. You're I, mean, right. I, I have seen weak candidates, and I'll be honest about this, I've seen weakish uh, performers kind of go almost all the way. Ultimately, ultimately, it's the viewers' vote anyway. It, you know, it, it um, arrives at a conclusion and gives us a winner. 
But um, but the point is, quite often you hear people saying that. People say to me, oh, I was sorry to see your man go. Or, Jesus, how come your man didn't make it last night? And go, did you vote? No. And no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. always the way. So, yeah, so, so if you really want to, in any of those competitions, you need to vote. You do, or, and you know something? Hand on my heart, having put, as you do, put your nose out there and put your hand up uh, and go above the parapet. I really feel for these people because they're adults <laughs> and they stand up there and they say, judge me, and it's just the most um, kind of exposing uh, experience that anybody can have is to stand on stage and say, I think I'm good enough. What do you think? It's a tough one. It really is a tough one. But John, there's no fear of John. John he'll has do a well. career ahead of him. Anyway, yeah, you know? he'll do well. He'll do well. We've got we've talented people in this country. All right, listen, uh, John, thanks a million for joining us. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat again. We'll chat again. I have you on when I'm on the road. All Do you? Time, you're very good. I, ke- I keep you company. Thanks for <laughs> that, John. Bye bye. Bye bye. The lovely uh, John uh, Creedon uh, joining us. Uh, in, and of course, the, the Lenten Trocra campaign is underway. And uh, this year, they want to raise awareness of how land is stolen from the world's poorest people due to conflict, due to big business. Something with John outlined there are simply because. Uh, Women, women are in charge of the land and they lose the land just because they're a woman um, and how people in Ireland can provide a lifeline to them. The campaign runs is running now until Easter Sunday the 21st of April. We're encouraging everybody to get a Trocra box. They're available from all of you local parishes or you can go online to trocra.org. 1850-333-103. John Paul is taking your calls today. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103-103. Nick Richards, weekday afternoons from 1. C103. Hello, Nick, how are you? I'm good, I think. How are you? Good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, is there a difference between the ground and the floor? No. I followed you all the way to Mallow, where I live. Oh, anyway, hello, fire place lady. <laughs> how are you? I'm very good. Amy, you just won your share of €5,000. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. Thank you. Nicholas, how are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. C103. Written by Willie Russell, the legendary Blood Brothers tells the captivating and moving tale of twins who separated at birth grow up on opposite sides of the tracks only to meet again with fateful consequences. Part of this year's Blood Brothers tour includes five nights at the INEC in Killarney and joining me from the cast, Robbie Scotcher, who uh, plays the part of the narrator in uh, Blood Brothers. Uh, good morning to you, Robbie. Good morning, good morning. Are you described. Uh, thank you. I'm I'm a huge fan, can I say, of Blood Brothers. And I was I sat at home last night trying to work it out, and I think I've seen it ten times. Uh, and and I will go back again and again and again. Do you remember when you first saw the show, or when it first came on your radar? Yeah, I do actually. It's, it's quite a bizarre story. Um, when I was at drama school, my my girlfriend that I was going out with, she got a part in the show. That was her first job. So her opening night, which was about three weeks after we left drama school, was up in Glasgow. So I travelled up to see the show, and that's the first time I'd actually seen it. So, uh, yeah, I sat in the audience in Glasgow, which are fantastic audiences. And, yeah, I mean, it did did the same thing to me that it did to you. It's such a fantastic show. It just blows you away. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And this isn't your first time playing the, the narrator. It was in 2010 when you first did it? Yeah, yeah, I, d- I did it for a couple of years back then. I, I think we might have come to Ireland with it then. I'm not sure. Can't quite remember. I don't think we came to Killarney that time. Okay. But yeah, I, p- I played it then. And then, uh, you know, as you do, you disappear off and do other things. And it was always a show that I wanted to come back and do. Um, 
as 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 you get a bit older, you can bring different things, especially to the role of a narrator. And I always felt that I thought I did a good job, but I always wanted to come back and do a better one. So I got a call from Bill Kemright, and uh, luckily enough, I'm back. And it, I, I always feel when I'm watching it, because uh, you're emotionally, i watching it, I'm emotionally drained by the end of it. Is it very emotionally draining for you, the ca- for the cast members? Oh, in, in, enormously so. I'm, I'm quite lucky in the role that I play that um, I, can, I, I, I can change how I tell the story to a certain degree. I mean, obviously, you've, you've got the worst, but uh, the, the great thing about live theatre is that it changes with audiences, and different audiences need different things, so I, I can adapt to that. But when you're playing any of the boys or Mrs. Johnson or Mrs. Lyons or any of the characters, it's, it's hugely emotional. I mean, the tears on stage, you can't fake those. They're, they're 100% real. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in awe of how some of those guys do that every night because although I'm I'm lucky enough that I get to watch it as well, but when you watch, as you'll see, Lindsay Hately play that role, it's it's just, it's hilarious and heartbreaking in one go. Mm. I mean, Rebecca Storm would be a great friend of the programmes uh, here. And and I've seen Rebecca play play the part and, and I've met her after the performance where you could just see she's wrecked. It's like quick hi, hello, goodbye, go to bed. <laughs> just you know, just just, just take just take time out. Yeah. So talk to me about the other cast members. Uh, you mentioned well, uh, Lindsay, for ex- for example, she's one of the newer cast members. Yeah, Lindsay's coming. Up. There's been quite a few people that have, have gone around and do it for a few years. I mean, I mean, Rebecca Storm is she's one of the great Mrs. Johnsons. The ones I I, I was never lucky, lucky enough to do it with her, but you know, she's one that everyone talks about. And there was Lynn Paul as well, but Lindsay's come into it, and um, yeah, which it's it's I, I I think it needed it's wrong to say it, it needed freshening up. That's yeah. not true. But it's nice to have a different voice come in sometimes into it. So uh, yeah, she's come in and she you know, she had been in she TV. had been in Mamma Mia, wasn't she? Yeah, I've I just been I've just been doing Mamma Mia with her. Hilarious. Oh, brilliant! So you've you've, <laughs> wor- you've worked together before. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, mo- most people will know her because she was the original narrator in Joseph. Okay. Uh, in the in the West End with Jason Donovan. And she's got a career that spanned, you know, she's, she's been on Broadway, she's, she's done everything, she's literally, she, she's top, top notch. And uh, she's really relishing coming into this role. I, I remember her saying, it's one of those roles that she just said, it, it just fit. The minute she came into it and she started singing the songs and she just she adores doing it. Yeah, I, I often think about that. It is one of those for, for females who, you know, the West End, the leading ladies. Yeah, Mrs. Johnson has got to be on the bucket list. But you have to be a certain age, really, before you can really start playing it, don't you? Or do you? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's, there's a lot of different people's thinking behind it. I, I, I think you have to have certain things about you. Yeah, and, and yeah, I, I think to have that experience, to have that kind of, uh, you know, life knowledge. Yeah, you've, yeah, I mean, you, you have to be a certain age, certainly. Although, yeah. you know, Lindsay's not old. No. <laughs> kill, kill me if she had me say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, but, part, uh, the part that the two boys play, I mean, uh, Mikey and Eddie, they, oh, they are just such, that's just such a fun role. Yeah, we've, we've got two new guys that have just started. And uh, they're... Um, What's great is that both are very similar to where each character is actually from, especially Mickey. And um, it's, it's, it, it, 
I don't think you'll mind me saying he's a bit of a scally himself, really. <laughs> and uh, he's yeah, he's absolutely it's brilliant because you're watching someone find all this stuff and bound around the stage, and he's absolutely fantastic. He's he's like a young McGann, yeah. you know, like the Stephen McGann. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's exactly like that. He's and I tell you what, in, in about in about twenty years' time, he's going to be one of the biggest actors, you know, across our country. And what's his name? That's. Alex Patmore. Alex Patmore. You heard it here first, folks. And then Eddie is played by Joel Benedict. Yes, yeah. And Joel was in the show before and he's come back to it. Um, what's, what's quite nice as well with the two of them is um, they've, they're forming this really great partnership. So there's a lot. But people talk about Blood Brothers and we always walk out remembering the end, don't we, when we're crying. But it's mm. absolutely hilarious. It's such a funny show, yeah. And and their comic timing together, that it's really growing, and it's it's fantastic. It's really good. It's such it, a good mix. Yeah, it's one of those great shows where you will you will laugh until you've got a pain in your side from laughing, and then you <laughs> will cry every tear that you have within you. But by the end of it, it's 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 beautiful. And and I envy people who are coming to this for the first time. Even though I think there's very few people who will be coming to it for the first time, but there are some who, for whatever reason, they never get to see it. I always am envious because that first time seeing it is, is truly amazing. Okay, so you're coming to the INEC from the 19th, which is next Tuesday until the 23rd. It's five nights, but you do two matinees on two of the days. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Okay. That's correct. And uh, booking is at the INEC.ie. How long does this tour in, in total, Robbie? Are you, you around uh, in, you around the United Kingdom as well with it? Yeah, yeah. We're going up until uh, May. Then we have a break for the summer. I think we start the next tour starts in. I'm not, I, I think it's Blackpool. Okay. But uh, yeah, and then and, and then we're going we're going out throughout the UK. I'd like to say something else just on what you said there about people for the first time. Okay. Uh, someone described it to me the other day that it's like their favourite song. You know, you've got your favourite song and you go, oh, what you haven't heard that? Oh, come and listen to this. You have to listen to this song. A lot of people bring people for the first time. You know, who've seen it like yourself, yeah. seen it ten times. They bring their the amount of people you see afterwards and they're like, oh, I'm 10, I'm 5, oh, this is my first time. It's just brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is. It is fantastic. Listen, enjoy uh, your run at the INEC, uh, Robbie. It was a real pleasure to talk to you and uh, thank, thank you. you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Robbie Scotcher who plays the part of the narrator in Blood Brothers and booking for those tickets, INEC.ie. Call us now on 1-800-938-200. On FM, online, online, and on your phone. This is C103 News. It's midday. Good afternoon. I'm Barry O'Mahony. Gardaí and West Cork say six arrests were made as part of Operation Thor yesterday. It was another multi-agency day of action involving Gardaí and members of the Detective Roads Policing and Armed Support Units. It was also supported by Revenue and Customs, Department of Social Protection, Cork County Council and the Road Safety Authority. The arrests were made in relation to a number of incidents of theft, dangerous driving and harassment. Checkpoints were set up near Ballinhasic and Dunmanway and Gardaí also distributed leaflets to motorists on the Lock Up Light Up campaign, raising awareness about home security. A Cork City councillor says he was shocked to see the near demolition of the folly on the grounds of the former Bessborough mother and baby home. 
Kieran McCarthy says a sign leading into the historical structure stated the deconstruction had been reported to the Mother and Baby Home Commission. He made contact with the Director of Planning at City Hall, who confirmed permission wasn't granted. Now a probe is underway into the activities at the site in Blackrock. Speaking to C103 News, Councillor McCarthy, who's also a historian, says he was taken aback by the actions. Two-thirds of the building had been taken down, um, and the pictures that I saw, um, there was a sign-up um, that the demolition um, or deconstruction had been reported to the Mother and Baby Home um, Commission. Um, so no, I mean, I, I, w- I was shocked. I mean, I, I emailed um, the Director of Planning um, straight away, um, and the response I got was that permission wasn't granted. The National Cancer Strategy missed six of its seven targets in 2018. The Irish Cancer Society has slammed the government for underfunding the programme, which is designed to improve cancer prevention rates. The charity claims new initiatives promised under the strategy have not been resourced and existing services are being inadequately funded. Averill Power of the ICS says cancer patients deserve the care that was promised to them. This is truly shocking and will have a major impact on cancer patients and their families. One of the six missed targets was to ensure patients are diagnosed earlier, thereby increasing their chances of survival. 95% of people classified as having breast cancer symptoms needing urgent investigation were supposed to be seen within two weeks, but only 75% were. Ireland's farming sector could suffer a direct hit of €800 million if tariffs are imposed after a no-deal Brexit. The British government has announced levies wouldn't be put on 87% of goods entering the UK if it crashes out of the European Union. It's also promised there'll be no border checks on goods going between the Republic and the North, but tariffs will be imposed on a temporary basis to protect industries like agriculture and motoring. Ethiopian Airlines says it plans to send a black box from the plane which crashed on Sunday abroad for analysis, but hasn't decided where. The company says one of the recorders was partially damaged in the accident, in which 157 people died. There's growing concern within the aviation industry about the Boeing 737 MAX 8 involved, with many countries, including Ireland, having grounded the model. The latest sport with McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 191 Toyota. See In SSE Tricity League of Ireland Soccer, two upcoming Premier Division fixtures have been postponed because of international call-ups. Cork City's away game to UCD and Dundalk against Bohemians on March 22nd will be rescheduled. A new date for both fixtures will be confirmed in due course. International soccer Declan Rice expected to be named in the England squad for the first time. Gareth Southgate looks set to include the former Republic of Ireland international in his plans for the Euro 2020 qualifiers against the Czech Republic in Montenegro. The call will come 24 hours after the West Ham star was named Ireland's Young Player of the Year. Declan Rice was selected by a panel of soccer writers before he'd requested a switch of international allegiance. Racing day two at Cheltenham goes ahead following an early morning inspection and conditions are said to be better than were forecast. From Presbury Park, Dave Keener looks ahead. Altior will face eight rivals as he bids to record back-to-back times in the second day feature of the Champion Chase at the 2019 Cheltenham Festival. The nine-year-old is a four-time course and distance winner and he's unbeaten in his last 17 starts and he's started a short price favourite to win today's feature for Nico de Boyneville and Nicky Henderson. We get underway with the Ballymore Novices Hurdle at half one and that race is one of four Grade 1 contests on today's card and we round off the action with the champion bumper at half five. From Cheltenham, I'm Dave Pina. And you're now up to date on the home of Cork's greatest hits, C103.
Nissan's latest innovation is the van that never gets old. Buy any 191 Nissan van and replace it with a new van every three years from just €49 Euro per week ex-fat with three years free motor tax and three services. Offer must end 31st of March, so visit Nissan.ie. Nissan, innovation that excites. Finance offers for business users only. Finance is provided by AIB Leasing Limited by way of a leasing agreement. Allied Irish Banks PLC and AIB Leasing Limited, trading as AIB Finance and Leasing, are regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Eligibility, lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. C103 has been informed of the following bereavements. David O'Sullivan, Strand Street, Cantorick, passed away peacefully on the 11th of March at Cork University Hospital. Reposing at Grace's Funeral Home, Cantorick, this Wednesday from 5.30pm, followed by removal at 7 o'clock to the Church of the Immaculate Conception, Cantorick. Requiem Mass tomorrow Thursday at 2 o'clock, funeral afterwards to Drum Tariff Old Cemetery. Contact Grace's Funeral Directors, Cantorick, 029 50102. John Joe Geary, late of Kilmallock Road, Charleville, passed away on the 12th of March, reposing at Hawes Funeral Home, Charleville, on Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Reception into Holy Cross Church, Charleville, on Friday, March the 15th, for Requiem Mass at noon. Funeral afterwards in Holy Cross Cemetery. No flowers, please. Donations in lieu to Milford Care Centre, Limerick. Contact Hawes Funeral Directors, Charleville, 063 Timothy Winters, bookmaker, Percival Street, Cantork, and late of Newmarket, passed away peacefully on the 11th of March at Nazareth House, Mallow. Reposing this Wednesday from 6 to 7.30pm at O'Reilly's Funeral Home, Newmarket, followed by removal to the Church of the Immaculate Conception, Cantork. Requiem Mass tomorrow Thursday at 12 noon, followed by burial in the adjoining cemetery. Contact O'Reilly Funeral Directors, Newmarket, 029 60142. Kathleen Cotter, late of Cooler Newmarket, and 1 Old Coach Avenue, Mill Street, passed away peacefully on the 11th of March. Reposing at Tarrant's Funeral Home, Mill Street, this Wednesday from 6 to 8pm. Reception into St. Patrick's Church, Mill Street, Thursday, for 12 noon Mass, followed by burial afterwards in St. Mary's Cemetery. Contact Tarrant Funeral Directors, Mill Street, 087 2525 Eriyesh Day Gorevshiad. For full details on the obituaries you've just heard, go to c103.ie. C103 Weather. Well, we've had a, a windy morning with strong and gusty westerly winds decreasing, though, as we head into the afternoon. It'll be a bright afternoon with some sunny spells and just scattered showers. Clouds will increase later with patchy rain or drizzle by evening time with top temperatures 9 to 10 degrees. Tonight's going to be wet and windy with strong and gusty west to southwesterly winds. Rain will become widespread and heavy and temperature lows of around 7 to 9 degrees. And then tomorrow, Thursday, it'll be a cloudy day with further rain. Fresh to strong westerly winds will moderate by evening time. It'll be relatively mild tomorrow with temperatures 9 to 12 degrees Celsius. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. I want a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make a deal 
Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Just across the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs. Finally see what it means to be living. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said, somebody's got to take care of him So I quit school and that's what I did You got a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast it felt like I was drunk City lights day out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged Someone, be someone, be someone. You got a fast car. We go cruise and entertain ourselves. Still ain't got a job. Now work in the market as a checkout girl. I know things will get better. You'll find work and I'll get promoted. We'll move out of the shelter. Buy a bigger house and live in the suburbs. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Speed so fast, it felt like I was drunk. City lights lay out before us, and your arm felt nice, wrapped around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone. Someone, be someone. You got a fast car. I got a job that pays all our bills. You sell drinking late at the bar. Some more your friends than you do your kids. I'd always hope for better. Thought maybe together you and me find it. I got no plans, I ain't going nowhere. Take a fast car and keep on driving. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car. Speed so fast, it felt like I was drunk. City lights stay out before us. Your arm felt nice, wrapped around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone. Be someone, be someone. You 
you got a fast car Is it fast enough so you can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way lovely Tracy Chapman on C103 and that is uh, Fast Car. Dan was listening uh, to me speak with uh, Robbie who is going to be playing the narrator in the superb musical at Blood Brothers at the INEC and is wondering Patricia are there family price tickets for Blood Brothers? Uh, Now we've sent an email off just to see if we can get confirmation or yay or nay on on family tickets. We've checked online at the INEC.ie and they have tickets for sale, but they, it just gives you the price for the balcony and the upper balcony and the price for the stage and the stalls from thirty four fifty up to €45. Euro. But they don't give actual tickets as in family tickets. So I don't know if they do family tickets or not. I know we're running an ad, but they're talking about packages for overnight, you know, for a stay and go along to the show. But I haven't heard of family tickets. But we sent an email off. I don't know if we'll hear anything before the close of the programme or not. But if you want to check get on to the INEC.ie because it's running for five nights. It opens the 19th to the 23rd. But on two of the days, there's matinees. Now, I don't know if the matinees are cheaper or not than the nighttime tickets that could be. So you might be able to get a family ticket for there are tickets slightly cheaper than the nighttime ones, but well worth bringing the family along to. If you're going for the first time, be aware there's a loud bang at the end because I can frighten the life out of some people. 1850 We've been talking about the Irish flag and when did it stop being green, white and gold that I certainly always remember referring to it as and why now is it green, white and uh, orange? A Douglas listener says, Patricia, we used to say, and obviously this was to remember the colours of the flag, green, white and yellow. OK. And we hit a little poem to go with it, says the Douglas listener. Green, white and yellow. Green, white and yellow. My mother had a fella. The fella died. My mother cried. Green, white and yellow as a Douglas listener and I take it that was she remembered the colours in the flag was it as if you could forget but then a man in the know is Robbie in Bantry who says Patricia listening to you talk about the Irish flag you are right about the stripes green was and is for the green of Ireland and the Catholics white is for peace between the two and the orange is for William of Orange uh, but yes the flag has been referred to as green, white and gold. And the flag was green, white and gold back in 1979 for the papal visit. The flag was actually changed to green, white and gold with the papal insignia on the white part. Do people, and I clearly remember that. I remember, you know, we had our little flags that we were waving when we went to see the Pope and you either had the the yellow and white ones. Are you right? There was a green, white and gold flag with the papal insignia in in the middle that they brought out and you could buy and people bought when they went along to see the Pope's visit. Anyway, back to Robbie's text. He said, it then returned back to green, white and orange after his visit. But some people still refer to it as green, white and gold. Hope that helps. And why did that happen? Why after the papal visit did we stop saying green, white and gold? And why did we suddenly start referring to it as green, white and orange? Strange one. Thank you, Robbie. In Bantry, obviously a man in the know. Let me stay on things patriotic because I'd be interested in how people feel about this. It's to do with the next Sunday's FAI Awards for 2018. And it's the the FAI have announced that the Young Player of the Year has been won by 
the English International Declan Rice, which does the Irish International Awards and it's been won by England's Declan Rice. But of course, as we all know, Declan Rice played in three of Ireland's nine international games last year. And because of that, he was voted as the winner of the award by a panel that was made up of members of the Soccer Writers Association of Ireland. Now, I do have to emphasise that the decision was made before it was publicly confirmed by Declan Rice that he has decided he doesn't want to be Irish anymore while well, he was switching international allegiances and that he wants to play for England instead. And the FAI have confirmed that Declan Rice was the winner of the award, but they have confirmed that he won't be in Dublin to collect his award. There's a big gala award ceremony. I think it's been, is that been televised, the awards ceremony? Anyway, it's on next uh, Sunday night and the FAI says they won't pull the award from him. They're going to give him the award, but he just won't be there to pick it up himself. But he is getting the Young Player of the Year uh, award. Uh, and it brings up that whole question, should we still be giving him the Young Player of the Year award? The FAI are saying that by giving it to to him, it even though I don't know how they're going to get it to him or if he even wants it, but they're saying by still awarding it to him, it maintains the integrity of the voting process in conjunction with the Soccer Writers Association of Ireland because they would have sat down to agree on who was getting what awards in which category and they did it before Declan Rice decided he doesn't no longer wants to play for Ireland he wants to now play and declare for England instead so they feel that if they decided then to move it to was there a number two who else was in the running that it would just you know the integrity of the whole awards ceremony would be would be thrown up so they said for that reason they are going to give him the award even though he's not going to be there for it and it's match how they work out who wins the various awards. Its performances during 2018 was the sole criteria for the judging panel. And because of that, they decided to stick with their decision regardless of future developments. Are the FAI right to do this? That he played really well last year in the three games of the nine games, nine international games. He played for three and he was the outstanding young player of the year. Or are there other young players who we could be giving the award to instead? Your views on that, but he's not co- not going to be in Dublin uh, to pick it up. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they'll just, what, they'll send over the award to him by courier or give it to maybe somebody else who's there saying, when you happen to see him, would you pass this on uh, to him uh, instead? Uh, it is go- It is live. Uh, it is, it's live on RT too. On Sunday night, okay, I was wondering were they going to televise it or not. It's just not going to be the same. I mean, it'll be. Int- I would be. I'll be interested to see what's the viewing figures. Will more people tune in purely just to see that award? And how are they going to do it? You know, the fact that he's not going to be there because usually for all of these awards, all of the players, particularly a young player like that, picking up a young player award, it's the start of their career. It's an exciting night out. It's you know they're able to rub shoulders with players. You know, maybe some of their heroes, people you know who've retired from the from the game and people that would have grown up watching. And you know, it's an exciting night out and a nice night out for family members as well when you're being honoured almost by your peers and you're being honoured as an outstanding player of the year and it can only be onwards and upwards so he's going to miss out on all of that but it's just when they're giving out the awards you know what's it going to be like they're just going to announce well he's won it but by the way uh, he's not here 
to pick up the award. Um, and I wonder, have they asked him, did he want to come along to pick up the award? It doesn't, anything I've seen online just says he won't be there. They're, they're just merely saying, the FAI are just confirming he won't be around to collect it. So I don't know if he said he doesn't want to collect it. Or he, I mean, I'm assuming he wants the award, but he's certainly not going to be in uh, Dublin for it. Uh, no reward for this bloke, says a texter. Give it to an Irish lad. If you don't want to be Irish, tough on him and therefore he shouldn't be getting this award. Okay, so that's what I'm interested in hearing. Are the FAI right to give him the award? Because he was judged fair and square. He did play with an Irish jersey during 2008. These are the awards. He's picking up the award for Young Player of the Year in 2018. He did play three matches in 2018 and the judging panel felt of all of the young players, he was the best young player in 2018 when he was wearing a green jersey even though he doesn't want to wear the green jersey anymore. Your thoughts welcomed on that please 1850 333 103. We spoke about insurance claims yesterday and one of the topics we addressed was fraudulent claims. And fraudulent claims, isn't, it is certainly is not a victimless crime, crime because we are all paying for it. Every one of us pay. Isn't it on every insurance policy we pay at least €50 euro towards fraudulent claims before you ever look at your premium? €50 euro of it is, is there because of fraudulent uh, claims. And one of the topics that came up yesterday when we were discussing it with Peter Boland of the Alliance of Insurance Reform was the serial offenders the people who you know can they be that unlucky that they get involved in that many accidents people who turn up again and again and again it's almost like a full time job they've had so many accidents and they have so many different claims in and do they need to be investigated and Peter Boland certainly was feeling yes they, they do and when they go before the courts should the judges be told well your honour just to let you know that this person has had five claims in the last four years or you will have entire families that seem to be very unlucky and they all have claims in and do they need to be investigated just to be sure to be sure that they are genuine claims well that prompted a person to contact us to say Patricia I know a person I personally know a person who has been awarded €76,000 in insurance claims those insurance claims are made up of five different actions Two of them were against the council for two different reasons. This person got €14,000, €16,000, €8,000 and the biggest one €38,000. How come a red flag doesn't appear if you know what I mean? By the way, this person has never worked. Do they really need to? They're drawing social welfare. You can't be that unlucky are lucky in this person's case when it comes to having all of those accidents, says somebody who actually knows the person. And it must be rather galling, mustn't it, to know somebody or to be related to somebody, have somebody in your family who can openly admit that they have all of these claims in and they can come up, come up with €76,000 in the last number of years in various insurance claims. And maybe the person's just very, very accident prone. Uh, God help them if they're that accident prone I certainly wouldn't be getting a car with them any time soon. John Paul taking your calls 1850-333-103 text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie 
To celebrate Irish Week, a concert of traditional music and song will be held in the Formoy Library this evening. It's between 7.30 and 9pm. Local performers, including an Irish language choir, will be in attendance. All are very welcome. Donnerail Tidy Towns, they've got a meeting in the community hall at half past eight tonight. Again, all are welcome. Parents are invited to the opening night for new students at Ballyhas National School in Cecilstown and that's this evening from half past uh, seven. And Sensational Kids in Clonakilty, they're holding a free SLT drop-in advice clinic tomorrow Thursday from 10am to 12 noon and it will have senior therapist Elaine present at speech and language therapist drop-in advice clinic. A Dementia Awareness Evening will be held in the North Ridge Education Centre in Maham. That's on tomorrow Thursday between 7 and half past 8. No need to book. You can just call in in person. Fairmount National School. They're holding a fundraising bingo night this Friday night. It's in Fairmount National School in Dunamore. Everybody very welcome to attend. And Ballyhara Makra. They're holding a Father Ted table quiz. It's at Sheen's Bar in Kilrallery on Friday night. Tables of four, 20 euro, and it's an aid of Mallow Search and Rescue. And the Irish Cancer Society, they're having a coffee morning on St. Patrick's Day in Horgan's Lounge in Newmarket. And that starts next Sunday morning at 11.30. Some of your reaction to the news that the Football Association of Ireland have announced Declan Rice as the winner of the 2018 Young Player of the Year Award, even though the FAI have announced that Declan Rice won't be in Dublin to collect the award. He is uh, he was entitled to be judged as part of this competition because he played three uh, in played in three of Ireland's international games last year, and the voting was based on people and players who played during twenty eighteen. And as he played in twenty eighteen, he was entitled to be included. The judges felt he was the best young player of twenty eighteen, but they did make their decision before Declan Rice decided that he didn't want to play for Ireland anymore and he's declared for England. Mike says, typical of the Football Association of Ireland. Forget Damien Rice. He doesn't want to be Irish. Give it to somebody who does want to be Irish and who does want to play for Ireland. That's Mike by text. And then a flood of calls to John Paul. Jim in Middleton. They should have changed their decision once he changed his mind and declared that he wanted to play for England instead. It's so unfair on good players who are with the Irish squad, says Jim in Middleton. Somebody else has probably lost out now on the award. Absolutely. Whoever somebody else has. There has to have been other young players that they considered. So what the other young players they've considered have lost out on this award. Franken can say if he doesn't want to play for Ireland uh, and that the Irish shirt isn't good enough for him then the award shouldn't be good enough for him either. The award should be given to a player who feels Ireland is good enough for them and they're proud to wear the Irish jersey. Margaret Indamamwe, they should select the next person who was lined up for the award. Yeah, you assume that the judging panel had a bit of a discussion, that he wasn't the only young player that they looked at. There must have been a discussion and, you know, on a panel... Don't you know there was probably toing and froing? You would have had a group who were saying, No, I would like somebody else to get it or or whatever. So, yeah, there has to be other names. They could revert to another list, I suppose, uh, Margaret. And Daniel in Carrigaline says the FAI have turned their back on the Irish flag by giving this award to Declan Rice, 
who has deemed the Irish flag not good enough for him. Whoa. So we haven't had one call or text or WhatsApp for people saying that the FAI are right to give this award to him. And the reason they're doing it is they want to maintain the integrity of the voting pro- process uh, in that the decision was made before Declan Rice announced that he no longer wanted to play for Ireland. We haven't one listener to this programme. That's uh, just a little... There's nothing scientific in that, but there's n- there's nobody has contacted us to say it is right and proper that he gets the uh, award. I will just be very interested to see, will he even accept it? I mean, will it be sent? They're obviously going to have to courier it to him. And when it is couriered to it, you know, will he... Will he put it proudly up on his mantelpiece and what will he do with the awards? That's what I certainly would like to know. The FAI have some neck, says a texter, talking about integrity. What a joke. A very wishy-washy shower, says a a texter. And somebody else who is looking for the protection of the Irish flag is Lisa Smith, the ISIL bride. And we mentioned this story yesterday and we still have people commenting on this and the Defence Minister has wrote in he has said the ISIL bride, as she's now been known, Lisa Smith, is entitled to diplomatic help from the state like any other citizen who finds themselves in trouble abroad. He said the Department of Foreign Affairs has still not positively identified the woman, but everyone accepts uh, it is her from the uh, media reports that are coming out of uh, Syria. She's the Dundalk woman, former Defence Forces member herself is uh, Lisa Smith. She's now 37. The Minister has said it would be a matter for Angarda Siakona if and when she returns to Ireland. Um, He was speaking actually to reporters yesterday when he was attending a Defence Forces training exercise in the Glen of of Imal. And he says, I've He's had briefings on it, but they're internal briefings because obviously it's involving the security of the state. And so he's keeping those briefings to himself. Now, he was asked by journalists at the Glen of Amal yesterday if he was concerned. And this is one of the issues that came up on our programme yesterday. If as Minister for Defence, he was concerned that Lisa Smith may have passed on any information that she came by through her work with the Defence Forces. And when he, that was put to him, he said that would be a matter for the internal security of the Defence for, Forces. And he did say he would talk to the Chief of Staff on, 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 that, if, on that issue. Um, Lisa Smith served in the Air Corps before she left the Defence Forces in, in 2011. And of course, when she was in the Air Corps, we know, because Enda Kenny has come out saying what a lovely, lovely person she was. And, you know, and he... he kind and friendly and and helpful because she had worked on the government jet when Enda Kenny uh, was on board. Anyway, she left in 2011. She then converted to Islam. She then travelled to Syria where she married a man who I believe is of Dutch extraction. So some people are saying, could she go back because she has a child? Could she go back to Holland instead of coming back to Ireland? That surely because her child would be half Dutch as well, even though it is an Irish citizen. Her her two-year-old child is is still an Irish citizen. Anyway, so she converted. She went to Syria, married this man who she met. She didn't meet him before. She met him when she went to uh, Syria. He was fighting with... um, Uh, with ISIS. She's been detained at the moment in Syria and she is being detained on suspicion of ISIL membership. So it'll be interesting to see what she actually gets charged with if she does get charged. But anyway, back to the Defence Minister, Paul Keogh. He said, like any other Irish citizen that gets into trouble, be it on holidays or be it working abroad, they receive and are entitled to receive 
diplomatic assistance from the Department of Foreign Affairs and he says that will not change on this occasion. So we are taking a very different stance in Ireland to the stance that they're taking in the United Kingdom with any of the ISIL brides. They straight away, once they're identified, they lose their citizenship and they make them stateless. And they kind of wash their hands and say, nothing to do with with us, nothing to see here move along. We are taking a very different view. Some of your comments coming in on this, Mark says, Patricia, you can only get to the bottom of how she was radicalised. This was the point I was making yesterday to bring her home um, and find out how she was radicalised. Find out how a young educated, intelligent woman who was a member of the Defence Forces a member of the Air Corps, how she can get her converting to Islam. I don't, you know, anyone can take on a new new religion. But there's a big difference between taking on a new religion and then being radicalised to the, to the extent that you go out and uh, live in Syria and start taking on all the beliefs of ISIL because we know the brutality of that particular regime and we also know the way they treat and feel about women as well. So I would love to know how she gets radicalised. What can we learn from that in the hope that we will stop any other young woman or man becoming involved and going down the same road? That's, that's the point I, I made yesterday. Mark is picking me up on that, saying, Patricia, the only way you could get to the bottom of how she was radicalised is if she chooses to tell the truth on how it happened. There are a lot of examples in the criminal justice system where criminals who have been caught and end up in court use every possible reason or excuse as to why they committed the crime just to get a reduced or a suspended sentence. Theory is great, but it does not all, always get the desired result, says Mark. So, yeah, you'd have to be convinced that she is telling the truth. Absolutely. And then Patrick from Foboy says, says, Hi, Patricia. Um, I would like to ask one question in connection with Lisa Smith and her request to return to the safety and protection of the Irish jurisdiction. Where would she be today if ISIS was still in existence? Question mark, question mark. Slaughtering and murdering innocent civilians who they themselves would have no safe haven to flee to, the safety of. While Lisa and her murdering husband and the ISIS associates slaughter innocent men, women and children because of their beliefs. I don't believe that Lisa would be pleading to return to Ireland if the ISIS still existed as a major terrorist organisation. Let her stay with her murderess, Patricia. She should not be allowed back into our country as she severed her Irishness when she left this country to join what Patrick describes as that gang of murderers. And that's signed uh, Patrick in Fomoy, who apt zero sympathy, zero sympathy for Lisa Smith what about a two-year-old child? Is there an innocent child in all of this? Should the child be considered? I wonder, would you have a view on that, Patrick? This is the Court Today replay on C103. We're going gardening with uh, Peter Dowdell. Good afternoon to you, Peter. We're going gardening in the cold. Ah, uh, it's a, uh, it is it is cold, but there's going to be some bright spells and it's a nice warm day tomorrow. It's going to be nice and mild tomorrow. We'll so. take that. We'll take so, that. Uh, where, where I am today, it's actually glorious, but it's cold. I'm up in a, you may not have heard of it, but you should have heard of it. It's one of these fantastic gardens. It's up in County Wicklow, a place called Kilmacurra. It's actually our second uh, National Botanic Gardens. Glasnevin is our the one that everybody the main knows, one, Botanic yeah. Gardens in Dublin, but Kilmacurra is also a National Botanic Garden. Well, it's a fantastic place. Fantastic. But it's cold. And it's yeah, cold. but once you, once you can wrap up, you're fine. 
Ah, yeah, absolutely. Once you once you can get wrapped up against it, you're, you're grand. I think just to get out at all, even for a short period of time, it's just good for the soul. OK, let's get straight into questions for you. Hi, Patricia, could you ask Peter, can I cut back my geranium? It's The leaves are a bit burnt, says Sheila. I'm guessing by geranium she means what we refer to as the tender geraniums, the kind of bedding plant geraniums. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. And yes, you can cut it back. And I, I suppose the correct course of action is you should have brought it in for the winter. Now, maybe maybe she has. It shouldn't have been left out. But this winter winter has been so mild, really. The geraniums have survived outside. But uh, So anyway, whether, or which, whether it's outside or inside, you could cut it back now and it should start to produce new growth later in the year. The, the other type of geranium that it could be is the... the more correctly named one, if you like, which is the herbaceous geranium, which are known as cranes bills. Most, but not all of them, are herbaceous, which means they die back, die back for the winter. So their foliage would be looking brown. And so if it's the case with them, yes, you could cut them back to ground level now at this time of the year. OK, Mick in Toker is on the other line with a gardening question. Good afternoon, Mick. Good afternoon, Patricia. OK, you're through to Peter there. What's your question? Thank you very much, Peter. I have two questions, if you don't mind. The first one is about pyracanta plants. I have a south-facing uh, patio, and on the east and west wall of either side, I have two large uh, pyracanta plants. Now, they're about 40-plus years old, and every year up to about three years ago, or maybe four, it, there used to be a profusion of white flowers, which there still is every summer, but I had a profusion of red berries then for the winter. But for the last few years... I've only got a few berries and the white flowers tend to wither and fall off. Should I be feeding them with something special or do you think they're too old? Somebody said that to me, that they might be too old. No, you're never too old, that's what I say, never too <laughs> yeah. old. Right? Okay. Be, be that in, oh, in, human, in human years or plant years, that's, that's not the case. So, yeah. um, so the, 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 are, do you think those flowers are withering and falling off earlier than they should do? The flowers are perfect, Peter, through the summer. And then when they should be, you know, withering and the berries starting to form, the whole little flower, I have examined them, the whole little flower tends to just wither in the plant. And if you rub them, the whole lot falls off. Okay, but, you know? but they're, they're, they're flowering for as long as you think they should. Oh, they you are. Know I mean? They are, I yeah, think okay. so, yeah. But well, then I'm afraid, I'm, af- yeah. I'm afraid your problem, uh, Mick, is on a grander scale. Your problem yeah. is po- it's pollination. It's it's uh, the plant is fine. The plant is thriving. The leaves look well. It's flowering well. Everything is fine. Forty years yeah. isn't that old in plant language. Right. Uh, it's a pol- it's a pollination problem, and that's it, the, those plants are pollinated by the bees uh, and other oh. flying insects. And if oh. they can't, if they're not there, or if it's too windy or anything like that, they can't do their job. And unfortunately, as we're all aware, we yeah. are losing species yeah. of pollinators every day, and that that's yeah. that's how it's right. manifesting itself. If um. If if uh, if the flowers were falling off early, like I thought, maybe you were saying it could have been a fungal disease, but I don't think you've any disease problem there. I think it's just quite quite straightforward that we don't no, have pollinators. My plants, my plants, the two plants look very very healthy. Even I'm looking at them now, Peter. They're very healthy. But what yeah. you're saying seems to be right because I get a couple of dozen berries, whereas before there used to be thousands of berries in them. Yeah. you know, no, that's not. It's, it's, it's not. No. It's not any lack in feeding. It's not any lack in potash or anything like that. Because if it was, you wouldn't be getting the flowers in the first place so the fact that you're getting the flowers but they're not turning into berries is a pollinating problem that's and that's not good insects. no it's not good it's not, not good. good and you have a oh, second geez. you have a second I question I have a second Mick? question our dear old friend Patricia Peter uh, the Moss um, a friend of mine has a large tarmac area in front 
and they had an infestation of moss, but very much so on the northern end. And they sprayed it with Moscow and uh, it cleaned, well, it, it burned the moss and most of it. But I tried to get more Moscow, but Moscow seems to be disappearing. There's other uh, treatments coming out and said, but this guy, one guy said to me, look, use salt in it. Everybody uses salt. So I've spread salt in it three weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Is that okay? Have you heard of that, Peter? Or is that oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. And salt will work. The only thing you want to be careful of there, Mick, is where the salt, when it when it does dissolve with the rainwater and that where it ru- it's running off to. In other words, you wouldn't want that salty solution of water running into your lawn or running into a yeah. flower bed. Yeah. So yeah. that's okay. But there is another product, uh, Moscow Probiotic, which has replaced it, which is a much more environmentally sound product. And that's right. very, very effective. It's Moscow, the same brand name, but it's Moscow Probiotic. And that, and that, that is, is, is very, that very made effective. By, is that made by Hygieia again? Do you it know? is made. It's same made company. Yeah, it is. Same company. company. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mick. Okay. Okay, listen, thanks very much. Well, and, th- and thank you. Jarrah uh, says, hi, Peter. I have a great cop- crop of rhubarb at the moment. However, the stalks are very thin and a lot of the leaves are turning yellow and reddish. Is it too late to feed it? And when is the best time to split the stools? Any I advice? I would say splitting the stools is the answer more than feeding. Uh, I would do that kind of late summer, lift them out of the ground early autumn, lift them, split them and replant them. Uh, at that point, feed them. Feed them with good, well-rotten, uh, even seaweed. A good seaweed feed would be very good. Even seaweed that you, you, you take from the beach and, compost, beach and compost, that will work very, very well. Rhubarb is a heavy feeder. It does get congested after a few years, so it does need splitting. So I'd say that's the problem. Someone has just sent in a text and you use bread soda that also clears moss. I've heard of the soda. Does bread soda work as well? Uh, Yeah, but the salt is probably cheaper than the bread soda. But anyway, thank you for your bread soda uh, tip from that listener. Uh, Just wondering, says another listener, is it too late to set dahlia bulbs? Thanking you. No, I would say not. I'd say you're still fine. And it's the kind of thing, if you have them, definitely plant them as opposed to not, because they won't store. So do plant them if you have them. But even if you haven't, no, I wouldn't be worried about going out to buy them buy them in the shop. Now, just make sure when you're buying any summer bulbs like that in the shops now, just make sure that they haven't dried out completely in the packet. In other words, make sure there's some sign of life. You might, even with the dahlias, you'd expect to see the, the shoots beginning in, in the paper bag or the plastic bag now. So, yeah, no, plant away. Hi, Peter. I have Hebe and they're gone wild. Can I cut them back now? Yes, you can. Sorry, yes, you can. But the thing is with hebes, when they do go wild and they do, they get very woody and leggy and kind of unkempt. You can't cut them back too hard, unfortunately. It's like lavender. They, 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 they will get woody and they will get all over the place. You do need to cut them back, but do it gradually. So with the hebe, cut it back now by all means, but do absolutely make sure that you're leaving greenery below where you cut. So you mightn't be cutting back more than a couple of inches where you might feel it needs to be cut back a few feet. So you cut back your couple of inches and what will happen then, that will force the dormant leaf buds that are on the stems down below it, it'll force them to green up and then you can cut back a bit harder and then a bit harder and keep going. But it could take about two years to get it to the, the shape you want. And during that period when you are keep when you are persistently cutting it back, you're also removing flower buds. So you're going to lose the flowers for that period as well. But yes, you, it can be done. What is the fastest climbing plant? I need uh, to climb a 20-foot wall. Self-clinging clinging is important. What would Peter suggest? Right, well, I would be very careful if you're looking for the fastest climbing or <laughs> fastest energy. Because it can take off. <laughs> once it's got to its 20 feet, it ain't going to stop, I'm afraid. So you could have a problem on your hands. But, so if you, there are several. Like clematis are very, very fast growing and the wild clematis and the... the mile a minute and Russian vine and all these they're very very fast but they're not self-clinging 
So if you want a self-clinging one, ivy is self-clinging, but it's actually not that fast, believe it or not. Um, I would say maybe the Virginia creeper, you know, the one that goes the lovely red color in the autumn. That's a good self-clinger, and that's very, very fast. Uh, climbing hydrangea is another self-clinger, but it's relatively slow. Um, in self-clinging, then, see, most of the fastest ones would be what we call not self-clinging. They'd need uh, wire or trellis or something to support them, the really fast ones. I'd say, I think the fastest of all of them, the self-clinging, is the one I just said there. It, it's the Virginia creeper or Boston ivy. Okay, washing powder from Moss, says Mary. I always use it. Again, any, a lot of those t- tips seem to work, but you've got to be very careful where it runs off. Yes, I might, what damage it, it may yeah. be doing. It may be doing no damage, I just don't know, but it may be damaging as well. Just be careful. Sheila says, hi Patricia and uh, Peter, I have a 35-year-old green Leylande cypress hedge. A few years ago, my neighbour removed a Grisolinia hedge that was back-to-back with mine. That has caused holes in my hedge. Is there anything I could do to help it recover? I'm afraid the short answer is no. There isn't really. When when you have a situation like that with any conifer where something has been growing next to it, it gets removed. The reason it's brown and the holes is because there was no sunlight getting to it. That's not going to regenerate, I'm afraid. All you can do is trim up around it to try and get it to green up a small bit. But no, it's not going to fill that hole. And sorry, I don't have any magic wand on that one. That's, uh, it's, it's gone and then that's it. OK, Jerry in Kanturk. I cut back uh, roses um, about three weeks ago. I now want to move them as I want to put a water butt where the roses currently are. If I move them, do I have to cut the roots of the rose? Advice, please. When is the best time uh, to do it? And will they do okay in a different part of the garden? Okay, well, a couple of things to bear in mind. No, it's not the right time of the year to do it. Ideally, this should have been done in January or February. Uh, The the situation is you need to do it, so that's fine because you're putting in the water butt. So you have to do it. So give it a go, nothing, nothing to lose. You won't have to really cut the roots. Roses grow on a long taproot with some very small fibrous roots uh, coming off it. Uh, so you shouldn't really have to cut it. Just dig it as deep as you can. They'll come out quite easily. Um, cut it back. I know you have cut them back, but cut them back maybe even harder. I would cut them back to within six inches of the root system when you're lifting it and moving it. They will hopefully grow successfully in another part of the garden. They will need plenty of water during this growing season uh, and a good rose food like the Goulding's rose food, plenty of compost when planting. Do everything that you can for it. Uh, and I, you know what, I mean, we are late, later than the ideal time, but I'd, say, I'd be confident that they will move. Um, but the only thing to bear in mind, they, they will move wherever you move them to, they will, they will grow away, provided there wasn't roses there before. There's a thing called replant disease, uh, which is specific to roses. So it means, now I know you won't be planting a rose where this one came out of because, because um, you're putting the water butt there, but where you are going to be planting the rose, if there was a rose growing in that area, I won't, yeah. the last 15 years, believe it or not, it Is it 15 grow. years, yeah? 15 years, Okay. Yeah. So and it won't grow. It just simply won't grow no. when another rose yeah, rose is gone. Okay, is there such thing as a camel plant? How can I slip a camel plant? I'd have to check that one. I don't know. See, I saw, and, and I sometimes worry that its predictive text comes in as no, camel. So if somebody wants to check uh, exactly what that is, this a good time, says Mary Mowbray, to cut down shrubs and hedging. Uh, it's a very well, broad question now. It is broad and it does depend on the hedge. So deciduous hedge would be good to be cut back kind of February or before the start of March. Uh, evergreen hedges you, you do kind of in the autumn. But just bear in mind, uh, for hedges, we're not allowed to cut them back now until September again from the, the Wildlife Act. 
because birds are nesting season and that. So bear that in mind with your hedges. We're not allowed to cut them back. So wait till the autumn. Uh, with your shrubs, it's, it's not a general, you can cut everything back now. So thing, general rule of thumb, if I can give one, is spring flowering plants. So plants that will be flowering, let's say, from February to April, they flower on wood that is produced the previous year. Okay? okay. So in other words, things like forsythia, magnolias, things like that, they are going to flower on growth that is produced this year. So cut them back now, if they finish flowering, to get lots of growth this year, and that will give you lots of flower next spring. However, plants that will flower in the summer will flower on current year's growth. So later flowering plants like your hebes, as we referred to, and things like that, they're all going to flower on, on growth that is produced this year. Okay, yeah. so you could cut them back now, no problem, because they haven't started producing growth yet. So, so summer flowering you would cut back uh, late winter, early spring. Spring flowering you cut back after flowering. Okay, all right, good, good advice. Okay, have you lots on this week? We're very, very busy at the moment. But one thing I do want to give a shout out to Trish is on the thirteenth of April. I was asked, I'm very happy to help out with the, the Cope Foundation, which is a fantastic organisation in Cork, um, their Flowers of Hope campaign. So oh, I'll, be giving, yeah. I'll be giving a gardening demonstration in Beach Hill Garden Centre, which is run by the Cope Foundation in Montanati, on the 13th and Saturday, the 13th of April. I'll be giving a gardening demo about including, encompassing all biodiversity in the garden, how to garden, to, to work with biodiversity, and obviously to make your garden ready for the summer and all that. That's on the 13th of April in Beach Hill in Montanati. It's for the Cope Foundation, Flowers of Hope. Uh, do come along because I, I won't be doing, believe it or not, too many uh, demos in Cork this year. Okay. Uh, so I'll certainly be at that one, 13th of April. And, and we will remind listeners of it closer to the date. All right, Peter, have a good week. I we'll do, talk nice. to you next week. Thanks for that. That is uh, Peter Dowdle uh, of the, the IrishGardener.com. Some of your texts still coming in on Declan Rice as the winner of the 2018 Young Player of the Year Award. Uh, somebody says he played well. He deserves the award. Now he's just choosing a different path in his football career. It would be petty for the Football Association of Ireland to change their mind based on this. As for other players who might have won, if they did were given the award to somebody else, they would always know that they were not the first choice and the award was meant for somebody else so the award wouldn't have the same merit as if it's first awarded to you. So there's somebody, that's about the the only text and call I think we've got in of somebody saying the FAI are right to give this to uh, Declan Rice. Uh, Someone says, how pathetic does it look giving an award to a player who doesn't want to play for their country? What about our own Cork man, uh, Queveen Kelleher? Is it? There are other people who should have picked up that uh, award. And there is a mark by WhatsApp says, Patricia, I love the hypocrisy on your programme today about Declan Rice. Why aren't they ranting about Bono and U2 and other celebrities who are Irish but choose to pay their taxes in a different jurisdiction because they pay less? Kind regards, says Mark. Well, in fairness, enough people do do give out about that. But yeah, I take well take on board your comment, Mark. Uh, thank you. OK, we have to leave it there. Thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Uh, we are back with you uh, tomorrow. I can see some more gardening questions coming in. But unfortunately, they've come in a little bit too late for... Uh, Peter, so we'll hold on to them and uh, we'll, I promise you we will get to them uh, next uh, week. Uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a lovely afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10.
Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.